the service here is exquisite despite it being outside mm-hmm. and in the parking lot. Yeah, it's, I think it's all right. It's good that they're taking the precautions because of COVID and stuff. You know, uh, hello, hey, you know. Why don't you come over here and sit with us? Thank you for sitting with us here on Come Sit With Us. I'm Mark Flores. And I'm Isaiah Martinez. Come Sit With Us is a podcast developed by two friends who simply want to create a show that friends, family, and fans can all join in on as if you're here sitting with us. Um, After the show, guys, make sure you guys follow us on social media at Mark's Modern Life. Follow Isaiah at uh, Isaiah, that's I-Z-A-Y-U-H-H underscore. Yeah. And our official uh, Come Sit With Us Instagram page at come.sit.withus. And support our business ventures, uh, my small business venture at El Notorious Pin and Isaiah's other podcast series uh, called The Deep End, exclusively on the Deep End Network. Now, Isaiah, there's this... (laughs) There's this thing I wanted to talk about that uh, that I wanted to actually bring up here on Come Sit With Us. I It's a nice Sunday afternoon, mm-hmm. and I wanted to check out these records that you had, and you want to yeah, get the uh, audience in on what ended up happening with the stack of records, because I haven't seen these yeah. before. Yeah, so I've been on, I told Mark, I've been in this collector phase where um, and, and where I'm starting to just acquire things and starting to like hold value to them because they're, they either remind me of like my childhood. So like nostalgia, you know, or, um, just because I want to have a hobby of collecting stuff, you know, I see value in doing that. And now with YouTube and stuff, I see a lot of people like collectors and stuff. And it's, uh, it's, it's, it's making me realize that, you know, these are special, you know, to a lot of people. And so I wanted to step my, my, my vinyl game up. I wanted to step my comic book game up my card game up, um, and even collecting, um, gaming systems, uh, even, uh, action figures and things that, you know, mean something to me, the things that have contributed to who I am today. And a lot of people I feel like don't really know me too well. Like they'll see me, you know, um, they know that I probably work hard and, and, you know, I, you know, try to maintain my positive outlook on things, but there's a lot more to me as well, where a lot of influences um, have contributed to my creative side. So uh, yesterday I went to build up my vinyl collection. I have like absolutely zero vinyl collection. I do have a record player, but zero vinyls. So oh, vinyl. So um, so I went out yesterday, and what's funny is I forgot my cell phone, so I couldn't even like you know snap it or anything like that. I left my cell phone at home. And I decided, I'm like, okay, well, let me try to go down to Redlands and let me just see what they got. You know? So these were acquired at the uh, the vintage shops over in Redlands? Yep, yep. So okay. I went to uh, Redlands. Yeah, there's like a vintage, one of the main vintage locations that has like three story, three stories. So they have, they have vinyl everywhere. But um, I went in there uh, and I tried to pick up some good valued vinyl that weren't too high priced. So we're talking about like $5, $6, maybe I jumped up to 15 on a few that I felt were worth it. And then I think one of those are 
maybe 25, one of those. That's the unfortunate thing with the style of shops that are over there because you don't directly deal with the, the vendor. Yeah. You basically turn up all those items from the selected booth. Right. And you turn it up to the main register and they just total it up. So it kind of eliminates you being a, uh, can you, you know, haggle this down a little yeah, bit. Exactly. Um, I want to go through these. Oh yeah. So and Mark, you haven't even looked at them yet. You're barely, I just, I had asked you before the show, if you could take a look at these, you said, let's save it for the show. So Mark has not seen any of these yet. So it's his first uh, so, reaction. So the first one that I got here is U2, uh, their album War. And it has a couple of the songs that I do know off the jump. Okay. We have uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday. And that is about it. I'm not From really... From what I understand... Not a lot, not a lot of uh, U2 comes to my mind when I... Uh, Vertigo, I know, know that that song's really good, but um, not really fond of U2 in terms of me listening to them. Yeah. But you... Yeah, you know, I know U2 is kind of one of those biggest, you know, bands that are globally known. And along with that, you're going to have some groups that like them or and groups that don't like them. You know, whether it might be just for personal reasons or whatever, because they have been political too sometimes. And um, I know this was particularly War's their third album, I believe. And that's kind of when they started becoming more noticed. Um, so uh, I, I popped it in, listened to a little bit of it, and uh, I, I like it. You know, I play nice. music myself, so I could relate to some of the sounds that they do. And yeah, it's a good one. So the next album that we have here is the Blues, the Blue Suede Shoe Man himself, Elvis, with his Christmas album. Yeah. And oh yeah, tons of hits done by Elvis. Uh, I'll be home for Christmas. I'd want to hear that sang by uh, Elvis. Silent Night. I know that he himself never had a Silent Night or two. I know he was always <laughs> busy as can be. Uh, yeah. I. How does this? Did you pop? Yeah, Elvis's Christmas album in. And, yep. I'm glad I picked that one up. That one was 15. Uh -huh. Um. I I kind of understood the price was going to be a little bit higher because Elvis and it's Christmas and, um. But that one I think to me is like a good one right now to pop in. You know, to get the vibe for. The Christmas holidays and all that. I love the next album that I see here. We have themes from the James Bond thrillers, oh, done by know. the Roland uh, the Roland Shaw Orchestra. So you already knew. Has the classic James Bond theme, the theme from Goldfinger. Tons, tons of good classic ones. I do understand why you would uh, <laughs> have this album. Yeah, um, I had to swoop that one up. You know, Definitely one that I'd play if I'm bringing a, a, a date home. I'd play the James Bond theme. Definitely set the tempo with that. Um, anything you would like to add on this? Uh, just, man, you, you already know. Like, I love the character. I love the series. I love the music that goes to this. I mean, Bond is like somebody I want to emulate, you know, in some ways. Uh, not, of course, in the secret agent level, but... Oh. Well, who, I mean, uh, do we really know? Do we I, know I don't know what you do at night. I mean, <laughs> who knows? Who knows if Isaiah Moonlights is the secret oh, agent wow. for the uh, uh, the uh, <laughs> United Kingdom secret intelligence? Um, the next one we have, we have an album by the boss himself, Bruce Springsteen, uh, called The River. It's, yeah. is it, does this include the E Street Band? So there's two, there's a, it's a, it's a, it's, there comes with two discs in there. Oh, okay. Um, and I, I, 
I don't know, to be honest. Yeah, I barely listened to the first track. I didn't get to listen all the way through yet on this one. Oh, this might have not. They may haven't. Uh, they probably haven't went to the E Street Band logo yet, or he didn't even go into the E Street Band. I'm not really uh, uh, that well versed into the Boss, but yeah. still. And that's uh, why I picked him up too, because I myself. Born in the USA is my jam. I do yeah. love playing that Fourth of July, though. Yep. Next album we have here on this is Elvis's "I Got Lucky," and yeah. looks like he's doing. Uh, oh yeah, so he does a lot of uh, a lot of tracks from the the motion picture "Viva Las Vegas." Very nice. What yeah. made you want to pick this one out? I just feel like that one was kind of the, I got lucky Vegas. You know, I feel like this was like him. I don't know. I don't know if it was him barely coming to Vegas or not, or him and right in the, you know, prime time Vegas. I'm not sure, but it kind of looked like, yeah. Way. So the stints that Elvis had, so he, he ended up uh, like pretty much his last resort was going to Vegas and doing shows. Uh, after all the movies he did yeah and joining the army too yeah, i remember that the, the um you know what's funny during the last performance of elvis's uh before his untimely death he actually sang uh frank sinatra's uh my way oh wow and that is a hell of a song to close out on as far as your last song to ever play to an audience especially for elvis i mean that yeah. has a lot of like <laughs> realism to that song to him um I want to group these two albums because sure. I see them both in, and I have Rip Roaring Twenties and the Roaring Twenty, uh, the Roaring Twenties Volume One. Yeah, what what's in these albums? What's going on? So it's definitely like the hits of the, of the Roaring Twenties, uh-huh. and I felt like that, you know, would somehow relate to twenty twenty. You know, we're in this year of our twenties, and as far as the new century, and I felt like there was probably a lot to relate here as far as. Oh us going through our, you know, shut down and all that, possibly another shutdown again. I don't know. And, you know, still yet you have out of all that, the roaring twenties. And I just felt like there was an energy there. I wanted to pick up, you know, and I, I, uh, picked yeah. those two up. Who could forget hits like somebody stole my gal toot toot tootsie. <laughs> and yes, sir. That's my baby. And the Charleston that's a Charleston in there too. Nice. Um, I am. I just saw this one right now, and yeah. I am all for it. This is the uh, 2001, the great classic from Classic Films. So you have a couple of the songs from 2001: A Space Odyssey, yeah, and a couple from uh, a lot of uh, Kubrick movies. You have a Clockwork Orange as well. I am very, very surprised you got this. Yeah, I saw that one, and that one was five bucks. And the 2001 song is, yeah, amazing, and I love the soundtrack. So. It was like no brainer for me. You have this good. You got a good value out of this one. So for five bucks, you got the best of Jerry Lee Lewis. Oh yeah, yeah. Definitely a showman. The cousin of um, uh, what you call it? The preacher too. Oh, Jimmy Swagger. Oh, got it. I didn't know that. Yeah, the cousins. And Jerry Lee Lewis, the man on the keys. Yeah, he's. It's I compliment. Any and everyone that does both of those, you including yourself. I mean, I remember the one time we were at um, the Union Station in L.A. And I don't know if I twisted your leg or or did anything, but I was like, Isaiah, please just play that piano. Like, just do it. So we're at Union Station. We ended up uh, wanting to hang out with our friend Justin. It was me, myself, and Andre. 
And Union Station is just the hustle and bustle of a regular Saturday. A lot of people have to go somewhere. There was a Dodger game people were taking the trains to. And they have this classical piano on free play. They invite people to play on this piano. Which is pretty rare because usually open pianos like that, they always have a sign, do not play. So uh, the the best part about all that is I was like, Isaiah, please just just play. And so Isaiah gets at least two to about three songs in and there's a there's a healthy amount of people there and at the end there was a nice little applause for you at the end dude and you played um i forget what songs you ended up playing man but there was uh there's a a very it goes into my point that for people who play the piano but not only do that but play in conjunction with singing singing really well i compliment them to the highest degree because there's a lot to figure into while you're playing the piano and not only that trying to keep uh trying to keep a tone uh amongst the song so people like elton john john legend alicia keys you know there's a lot of uh name some good piano there's a lot of there's a lot of people that go into this like even uh, billy joel as well and jerry lee lewis yeah it's it's very impressive to see talent of that threshold yeah I, I always see levels to it like i feel like you know yeah i might know more than the average person but there's definitely levels to this like somebody like jerry Lee lewis i mean this guy could just play like crazy on the keys play with his feet and all this stuff and then you know you have somebody with uh uh you have somebody with just different talents like elton john you know he can he can songwrite and you know and sing up uh, you know sing his own tune and it's uh Alicia Keys, another one, another songwriter, artist, you know, I mean, every, everyone, there's levels to it, but then there's just crazy piano players like freaking Beethoven and they're like back in the day, it's like, that was their life, you know, and they can just, they'll, they can critique every little sound and all that. It's just, it's nuts. I, I think one of the most heartwarming gifts that I was ever given was uh, when my mom ended up getting us tickets to see John Legend in concert. Oh, sick. And I've never seen such a showman like him live in effect. I enjoy his first album to me. Oh, man. Yeah. Perfect from start to finish. But he got Best New Album and Best uh, uh, best New Artist. So to, to sweep like that, forget lifted his first album. Amazing. Well done. And it just goes to, to show you that people that play the piano and, and luckily you didn't start singing. Cause yeah. I think if you started singing at union station, man, it would have, I think we would have been late for our, 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 uh, our train. I would have just put my hat up there and started coming up on you. <laughs> started milking you for all your worth. Um, I'm looking at this next album that you got Isaiah and I know I see Sonny and Cher. Yeah. So is this, how did I, Oh, Sonny and Cher's greatest hits. Yeah. Uh, Sonny and Cher's greatest hits. I mean, I, I know my uh, parents were big fans of Sonny and Cher. Um, uh, you know, I, of course, I've seen bits and pieces of them, but I don't know actually a whole lot about them as their lives and stuff like that. I know Cher's been with us forever. She's like, you know, I don't even know. She's still around. Looking the young the funny part is, is that Cher looks older in that photo <laughs> done in probably 1975 than I she does now. It. Wouldn't doubt it. You know, um, so I know they made great music and I, I just, I got to hear it. I guess let's listen to it. I got, uh, well, talk about a hoe down here. Um, <laughs> this Jimmy Walkley album, it's called the Cowboy Serenade and it has this, uh, this, uh, little blonde number 
with yeah. her hat up. Yeah. And you know, this guy's talking about kind of like uh, cowboys kind of um, strife or whatever. And Jimmy uh, Walkley country. Well, it doesn't, uh, <laughs> I don't think he does classical music because of this is, this is Western is all hell and it's yeah. called a cowboy serenade. Yeah. Oh, is it, is it, uh, is it country? <laughs> oh, it, it, in the songs, like classic songs, like in the Hills of Wyoming, Oh, I'm sorry I met you. Boots and saddles, on saddle. Nice. I wanted to change it up a little bit. You know? So, are you familiar with uh, Jimmy Walkley? Totally not. Totally not familiar with this guy. So you're going into the unknown with this. Going one. into the unknown with that one. Have you played any songs from this yet? Haven't played any songs from that. Let yet. me know what you see. Let me know what you get from good old Jimmy Walkley. All right. I know there's probably like at least two or three people like, man, these guys don't know about Jimmy Walkley. <laughs> Come on now. Yeah, I got this one from uh, down the street actually uh, here at the Mega Thrift. Oh, uh, down the way. Yeah, just down the way. There's a lot of good deals there. I remember I passed up uh, and I kicked myself in the butt for it. But I'm always on the hunt for like, if it's ancient Disney Disney memorabilia, I'm all for it. I passed up on animation cells from the Tarzan movie. I don't know how Megathrift got it. I don't know. Don't care. But I know what I did was pass up on it. So and how did you pass I, up in I know I could have just individually sold those th- bad boys on eBay and I, I completely screwed it up, but that's a, it's a, the mega thrift over in Rialto is definitely a good spot to go to. Yeah. I, I forgot that it's open. I used to uh, go to the other mega thrift. They actually moved stores from Pomona down to here. Oh, nice. Okay. Next album you got is Beethoven's concerto. Number three, couple of classics i bet yeah yeah definitely i mean beethoven i i can always work to that really nice and easy like if i'm trying to just lay back studying or whatever that's easy to do that too i i know that when i used to work at uh, solar city and for me to like focus in on what i'm doing at the task at hand like in order for me to wire up uh the the various equipment that you need to, to for a solar panel and to power it up and everything it takes a lot of wires, takes a lot of like uh, copper cable and everything. So wiring it up and making it look nice is what something I, I enjoy doing. So what I would do is I would play classical music while I'm doing it. So everything would look, you know, all the wires would look seamless. I just don't like just string them up to and see do it like I do your eyes do to see how you're doing that under classical music yeah it's it's beautiful I put white gloves <laughs> I, I have my little screwdriver and go ready just to perform a little uh a little play now we have I'm glad you picked this one up Johnny Mathis's greatest hits beautiful nice um I haven't listened to Johnny Mathis I know him by name so I needed a I feel like start with his greatest hits I can understand this that's guy. a healthy that's a healthy setup right there for yeah. first uh for you starting your collection yeah first batch um overall i i, I think that came out to like a hundred bucks overall it's a good investment good bill yeah i i'm i'm all for it the good part about that is vinyl has a Vinyl's gonna lot last a lot longer than the stuff that i usually collect like all my laser discs i know that eventually they're all gonna rot same thing with uh, cartridges. Cartridges end up having a, a short shelf life. So mm. there's en- there's going to be a, a point where all the Nintendo and Super Nintendo cartridges over time will just not play due to... I, I don't know if it's some sort of corrosion that happens within the cartridges, but it's just like those, um, those copper points aren't going to 
be uh, aren't going to take. Oh, okay. I didn't so, know that. It's good to know. I also know that you're getting into Pokemon cards. I want to make this PSA to you <laughs> live in front of these guys on Come Sit With Us. This guy has is sitting on some great, a great uh, set of Pokemon cards, a good set of hollows. I'm telling him no matter what condition that they are, the wave right now is to get those suckers graded. And what I mean is, is that he's going to have to get them, you know, make sure to ship them with care over to the people that actually grade these cards no matter what the grade is, Isaiah, I'm telling you, just it's just a you'll get a return on your investment. Some restrictions is over details. I've been putting it off. I'll admit that I've been putting it off for sure. That, I do that, plan to do it though. So yeah, that especially is that ancient Mew. I'm telling you, I don't know why or how it became this like issue where like people all of a sudden want the ancient Mew. I know it was literally a, a, a probably because it was just a promo promo giveaway. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, literally a giveaway, and like when you go to the movie theaters, like yeah, you know, just give it to you. Yeah, um, yeah. I started the card collection. You know, I've been wanting to collect cards. I didn't know what cards to collect at first. I was thinking about basketball cards, baseball cards, stuff like that. But um, I don't know. My brother always tells me that baseball cards, like they made it kind of like a racket a little bit as far as like you know what's valuable, what's not. Uh, I felt like Pokemon cards are a safe bet. Plus, I actually have some nostalgic connection to that um, because I used to collect. Pokemon cards back back in the day. I mean, everybody did back in the day for the most part. But um, yeah, so I started collecting Pokemon cards, and I'm now starting to get on the wave where I know what packs I'm looking for, and then I know what cards. I have a site that tells me what's the value of a card. Um, so, nice education. Nice yeah. education on that. Yeah, and it's cool. I mean, it's it passed by time too. I mean, some it's an easy gift to get me, like you know, for a Christmas stocking or just even for Christmas for birthdays. Like people know I'm collecting these things now. It's an easy gift to get me. So. Uh, yeah, so uh, I'll be collecting. I have a box now that I need to fill up. I only have like one good stack right now in the box, and there's uh, plenty of room to fill that thing up and eventually, you know, pass that down to whoever, um, you know, uh, once I'm gone. I hear you on that. Speaking of that, um, I ended up uh, going through my Instagram stories. And I thought I ended up finding all the footage I had from my dad. And I actually have, I found more footage. So I was able to save it. I was able to grab it. I wanted to add this into, add this into our show with, uh, with you. I don't know if we ever talked about it on come sit with us in the detail, but what was, uh, what was the favorite memory you had with uh, with your dad? Um, I think one of the favorite memories I have is just just two. I mean, one just playing at church with him while he's like preaching. You know, I always felt like we were a team in wake, so I would play the music for the church, and you know, during the ending of the service or whatever, you know, he would lead it into prayer. Um, and then I would play the music. I always, I always enjoyed, um, working with him hand in hand because he didn't have somebody to do music and I was able to step up and do it. Um, so for me to do that, it was kind of cool cause you know, I got to help him fulfill his dream of what he was trying to do. Um, the second memory I like, um, is that he would always play games with us. So he would play, um, Madden with us. He would play, um, NBA, you know, 2k with us. Um, and he actually like initiated those, those times. So he would always say, Hey, 
you know, he, he, what he would do, he wouldn't say, Hey, do you want to play? He would just snap his finger and point at the game. <laughs> and that was supposed to be just us knowing like, Oh, okay, let's turn it on. I'm like, let's get it in. But he would just look at it and just snap his finger and point. And that would be like his way of telling us like, you're going to get some, like, you know, ass yeah. Open, basically. yeah, it's time, it's time for time for work. I'm, so, yeah. I'm thankful that I was allowed into that that little legendary circle between you, Chuck, and your dad, where little, little by little he let let me uh, let me get in on whatever you guys are playing. So I thought that was cool. It's cool to share a couple of those memories with you guys. Yeah. Um, I was. I don't know if I ever spoke about this on uh, on Come Sit with Us, but if it's a repeat, I I honestly don't care. I'm just going into playing into the fact that you know just talking about memories of of our, of our dads that aren't, aren't here with us anymore. And there's this one time where I am still stupefied by it because the fact is, is that I never thought I would be so close to this, this gentleman that I'm going to be talking about. So this is the story of me sort of, and my dad meeting Reggie Jackson, hall of baseball, hall of famer. This is in Oakland, California. We're watching the Oakland A's play the New York Yankees. So Reggie Jackson is synonymous with both teams. Reggie Jackson graduated out of uh, ASU, ends up going to the Oakland Athletics, and kills it. But like every low-market team, ends up getting bought out by the Yankees because he was killing it. Um, so that's how he matches both teams. So it's necessary. It goes without saying that he's in Oakland while they're playing the Yankees. Right. My dad is friend was friends with who at the time this gentleman named Mike Harkey was the pitching coach for the New York Yankees. So every any time that Mike was at a game, we would get his attention, and uh, he would actually come up and just chat it up with us. So you guys, you guys, you see this guy in Yankees pinstripes talking to two schlubs. <laughs> it's like, who are these guys? Like, yeah. they're just, Mike was good friends with my dad. And it's always, a, it was always a pleasure to talk to, to Mike every time. And I know that I'm going to make it a mission myself to the next time I speak with Mike and just let, it, let him know my dad's passing and give him one of his uh, memorial cards. Um, I think he'd enjoy that. But going back to the story, so after we meet Mike, we're, we're going back to our seats to watch the rest of the game. But in the beginning of the in the beginning of the uh, of the game, we notice that Reggie Jackson is actually doing batting practice with his little grandson. So we're like, "Oh, great! Look at this, Reggie Jackson. He's right there. He's hanging out." We end up going back to our seats to watch the rest of the game, and. Around the seventh or eighth inning, the ushers are really lenient on people coming down to to the lower seats to watch the rest of the game. No one cares. It's the seventh inning. Mm-hmm. If no one's going to be at those seats, they ain't, they ain't coming back. Mm-hmm. So we go down to the lower level seats, and we're just like, okay, cool. I think we're we're all right right here before we find seats. So we're walking, and we're like, okay, we're going to end up finding seats. Let's go down these stairs. I look with my eye, and I'm like, holy crap. Reggie Jackson's going to be coming up these stairs right now. Dad wanted to go grab a seat. I hold him back. I'm like, Dad, look, Reggie freaking Jackson's coming up these stairs. There's no other time we're going to meet this guy. So we noticed that he's coming up the stairs and he's coming up without much security. I think he probably had one person, maybe by himself. I don't know. So he comes up walking up these stairs 
And my dad would talk a ton about Reggie Jackson. Just, I know I read his autobiography. It's a very good read. It's called Reggie. Um, I think Mike, Mike Lupica is the one that uh, co-wrote it. It's a good book. So you guys have plenty of knowledge here to make a good conversation. Oh man. So yeah. the best part about this is that my dad's meeting one of the, one of the guys that was just a part of his baseball life, um, growing up. So Reggie comes up the stairs and my dad just has his hand out. He's like, Mr. Jackson, it's a, it's a pleasure to pleasure to meet you. Um, I'm a big fan. You know, Reggie says, Oh, thank you. Thank you. And so here I come out of the corner. I'm all like, it's a pleasure to meet you too, Mr. Jackson. And Reggie just passes me by and leaves me hanging. <laughs> what? <laughs> so I was within within this close of how we are yeah. to see Reggie Jackson. So this is why I love to say this is the, the day that I sort of met Reggie Jackson. And my dad definitely met Reggie Jackson. It was probably one of those moments I'm never going to lose. And I'll constantly retell. But dude, it was... Reggie freaking Jackson. Like there's, <laughs> it's one of those iconic people, Mr. October. Like it's a world series champion. It's incredible to meet him. Uh, it's kind of sort of, uh, but <laughs> definitely one of those stories that's just one of those memorable things. And, uh, like I mentioned before on previous episodes, if you guys ever have footage or don't have very much footage of you, of your loved ones, just make sure you do every opportunity that you can to to record them because you never know when the moment comes where they're no longer with us and um it definitely helps out finding more footage of me and my dad and all the good memories that uh we immortalize with them so yeah because you always think you know you're gonna have this person in your life forever and it's it's just not true you know um eventually there comes a time when you know, someone's approaching the end of their life and, you know, what they've done. Um, so it's always, if you have, you know, parents or, uh, any loved ones really, uh, and this could be your wife, husband, whatever, um, always cherish them in the moment. Um, you know, cause you never know things can always happen. Like there could be a car accident, things can happen. So it's really important to, to embrace the moment that we end, that we live in today. I feel like the next thing that we're, uh, that was well said as well, uh, Isaiah, thank you for uh, bringing that up. I feel like the next segment that I have here, it sounds like a Seinfeld episode because all I have written on my show notes is the chess set. <laughs> I have, my chess set finally came in and it's freaking amazing. I love it. I love the fact that I don't have to bother anyone to play. I can get beat by the AI as much as I can while, while, uh, while I can enjoy it while I can until I start besting it. The beauty about it is that I'm able to, I'm able to play. If, if I'm done playing against the AI again, um, I can go against other competitors or I can even stream the games. But the thing is, is that there's there's people asking me the same. I'm getting flooded with texts, DMs of of when you want to play, let me know. Or <laughs> I'm all right with those. But the yeah. thing is, is that I don't want people getting this idea that I just got this chess set because of some stupid show on Netflix called The Queen's Gambit. 
I want to, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to show people my order receipt that I ordered this in August uh-huh. and it literally took six to eight weeks, AKA uh, two to three months. Right. Cause I, even I asked you this, I'm like, did the Queens Gambit like inspire you? And you're like, no man, <laughs> like, no, I got this before that. Shit yeah. Show. And I'm like, dang man, people are going to think I'm riding some sort of wave. And I'm like, no man, this is, this has been a part of like my like you with collecting mm-hmm. um, vinyls and, and cards and comics, mm-hmm. I kind of want to make this a part of my life as well, where I want to play the game of Kings. I, I want to play it till I'm old uh, and, and get, get as good as I can with it, but not because of some show on Netflix. I mean, wh- what's the next thing I'm going to, I'm going to watch breaking bad and start making meth. How about, <laughs> how, how where are we going to draw the line here? People, <laughs> I got a trailer, dude. So no, I'm just kidding. Um, what what other what other trends came along right after right after like Netflix series or shows like this? I remember. I don't. I think um, I know that there was. I know with Breaking Bad, RV purchases came up. I know with Top Gun, a lot of enlistment came in for the u.s military it's just a funny stat rb purchases going up like, yeah i don't know why maybe people like to travel maybe people like to do something within the confines of an rv that may be illicit or illegal have you seen queen's gambit have you seen no it? i haven't you i haven't seen? i know that danny was watching it and i didn't even want to ask him what are you watching because i already knew what he was watching i was just like oh god <laughs> I just, it's it's good. I mean, I've seen it too. I've seen it myself, um, and uh, it, it it is it is really good because you know why? It's because it's uh, it's one it's it's a girl who's who's climbing in the ranks, beating all the best like top chess masters that there are, and uh, you know uh, so it's 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 a story about that her evolving and she's 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 knowing the ins and outs of every play. We're talking about. She can describe um, a strategy by, uh, and I, I forget how they say it, but they, there's different strategies. There's books and things like that that she's reading and going through. She's reading um, biographies of the opponents she's about to play, their strategies and all that. Oh wow! So she's going, she's going for that number one spot, you know. So that's why it's so good, um, and um, and I, I I didn't even know it was about chess until I read the description and i was like oh okay you know i get it so i started watching it and it's really good dude it is really good so i get why people why it's trending right now um but it just so happens to coincide with your i know (laughs) i I ordered this thing in august and when it finally comes it's just right in this peak time where it's like (laughs) let's deliver it right when this guy finally discovers a show about chess and people think that it's one in the same couldn't be couldn't this is a Seinfeld episode, and it's That's and it's funny. at its core. <laughs> I saw that you busted out your chess set, and the best part about it is yeah, this is your this bust... is your father's old chess yeah. set. But it's funny too because it's like all of a sudden I bust out my chess set now. <laughs> all of a sudden I have a glass chess set. All of a sudden, it's pretty fancy. I like it. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was in your uh, dad's office. Yeah, yeah. So this was yeah, this was a chess set. My dad's always had. My dad's loved playing chess too. He has uh, he has another chess set, like a wood chess set it's really nice but he had this glass chess set 
and his office at church. It always was more or less for looks. Nobody really battled him right before church service or nothing like that, but it was just there. Um, and sometimes Nick and I would play, my cousin Nick, uh, we would play, but um, uh, yeah, it, it's always been sitting there. So anyways, I'm watching my nephew and I'm like, man, let me, let me school my little nephew. Bring, you know, <laughs> let me bring him up to date with some chess, yeah. you know, cause He's been wanting to draw, and I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, let's change it up. Let's change yeah. it up on you. So, so you get all the papers that just throw them aside and just slap the board <laughs> right. right in the center. I'm like, you're about to learn today you know, what chess <laughs> is. So he actually picked it up pretty quick, which was um, cool to see because I was actually to play a legitimate game because he knew what he what moves could do what. So, you know, who knows down the line if he will come to love chess or not. But chess has always been a, a dope game, man. I, I don't even know where it comes from. Does it come from Russia? I don't even know. But it's one of those strategy, you know, type game, one-on-one, you know, one versus oh, one. The best part mental. about it, it's, it's a, it's a, it, you're besting someone else. Yeah. Like mentally besting someone else. Not that I, I, uh, want to do that. I, I want to win. I'm very competitive. I, but the thing is, is that I will go through motion after motion and, repetition after repetition till mm-hmm. till I get this done. I mean, I've when I this this is the ultimate testament to what's going on with it. I remember playing pickup basketball with uh playing pickup basketball for the first time in about I'd say 3 or 4 years. And what ended up happening was that I was out of breath. I didn't I was good but I knew I could have done better. So from then that moment, I'd say about a year and a half going almost two years. That's when I was just like, you know what? I'm never going to be out of breath. I'm going to rule the half court game. <laughs> and that's yeah. when like people like on my social media would see me just shoot, shoot and shoot, free so throw, shoot, 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 and shoot and shoot and shoot. Like I would go day after day after day after day and then just play with these guys one time a week. So what they didn't know is that while they're playing that one time a week and going all out, I've done a thousand shots, layups, just putting in all this work to where it's like, you know what? I want to make sure that if you're going to beat me or if I'm going to take an L somewhere here, I want to make sure that I've done all I could to make sure that it gets done as much as I could. I don't want to fit. Every time I play basketball like i'd never want to lose i remember the first time you and i played in that adult rec league i took a l and it took me back to the johnson center days when i used to play rec recreation basketball dude i teared up and started crying i was literally on that bench crying i was like 23 years old crying because i lost an adult basketball game (laughs) i love the game and like chess and like i take those same practices in this is why i tell people like if i'm gonna if i want to be a grandmaster which I will do. I don't know how old I'm going to be doing it, but I'm going to get my ass kicked by the AI time and time and time again, but I'm going to be learning. And there's going to be eventually one point where by practice alone, I will be really good. So it, it's it's going to go without saying, this is something I've invested into. I, the chess, the technology within that chess board definitely is going to help me out. Um, but it has no correlation with the Queen's Gambit <laughs> on Netflix, damn it. Yeah. I, um, I'm excited, excited for that venture, but uh, 
I heard it's good, so I'm going to go check it out. I pulled this out because this is actually... uh, So what do you have there in your hands? I saw that um, you actually went into the... uh, Went to the closet and grabbed something out. Yeah, I, I got this um, this this uh, board game. It's actually very similar to chess. Um, it's called uh, Ani, Anitama. Uh-huh. And Anitama is a two-player game. Um, very similar to chess. It has a, it has a board. It has some pieces. Um, here, I'll show you. Let me see what we got here. So It has some pieces that are like senseis and stuff. And it's like, a, it's like the game of chess where... You draw a card and you have to move to accordance to that card that you draw and you only have a select uh, amount of spaces that you can go based off of that card or whatever. But it's it's similar to chess, too. Um, so it's another game that I wanted to also, you know, bring up that I picked up because I love chess so much. I'm like, well, this is a nice game that's similar to chess and it'll change it up a little bit. The I am sold. Off of this description alone that I'm going to read to you. Okay, off I this mean. Onitama box. Okay. Carved into the crags of the mist-shrouded mountains of ancient Japan lies the ancient shrine of Onitama. Masters of the arts journey there with their most promising disciples to prove their superiority in battle. This I, is just within the box. Said, not said. I'm yeah. sold. Like, <laughs> I'm at the register after that. Yeah, there's a there's an expansion pack, too. You can add to the board game to, like, add different moves and cards and stuff. So I'm I'm very uh, excited to try that out. I'm going to try it out with, um, I don't know, somebody in the house and, and uh, see how that goes. But it's, uh, it's a game similar to chess. And uh, I got it from Redlands, too. There's a, Looks cool. There's actual game store in downtown Redlands. It's uh, all focused on games board games and stuff like that was it a shop called quest i can't remember Some, right next to the toy store though there's a toy store out there too oh okay that's probably that one shop called quest is probably next to that one yeah um that's very good i um, that instantly sold me that sounds good yeah it sounds fun. sounds good to play yeah and the best part about board games is that don't need batteries you don't need to do anything really yeah. all, if all the pieces are there you're all fine yeah like you i know. wish i had that during the times we were quarantining you know because it was kind of you couldn't go anywhere at the time and it was like whatever to do you know i am going into the uh, final segment of uh, come sit with us and this is really important to me because i feel that you and i and the gentleman that we're bringing along as well into this is uh we're all well versed into movies do, invo- do enjoy a, g- a great film. And I really want to have this, uh, this one of these main anchor episodes. Episode We're on episode 19, and I know that we're just simply going to title this 15 Films You Must See Before You Die. Simply going to title that. And right now, we're going to get you into the segment where I invited one of my good, one of good friends of mine, my best friends, Jonathan Ford, who's going to give us his five movies. I'm going to shoot it off to Isaiah for his five movies. And we're going to end it with me with my five movies that you guys must see before you die. I encourage you guys ha- uh, to see these movies. If you haven't, please do. I know these may have be these may have been blockbuster movies, but if you guys haven't, please go out and see them. I'm not going to my my list myself. I'm not going to dig too much into into uh, uh, various movies that are hard to find, but they're definitely going to be ones that you should watch. I mean, def, I'm I'm all for I'm all for these five that I put on my list, and I know the five that you put are super important as far as uh, 
as far as uh, uh, cinematic history goes as well. So without any further ado, I'm going to bring in Jonathan Ford for his five movies. Coming in via satellite. He's uh, been a good friend of mine since freshman year in high school. I remember second period since we had close names, like close last names. I sat next to him. I sat, Ford. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I sat next it. to him. I never heard him. it like that. Yeah. And dude, I had no friends. I, yeah. I had Same. no friends in high school, like in the beginning. Off the jump. I was like, Fresh I'm fish. lost. Fresh fish. I think, I think I got you with the whole nougat thing. No, bro. Let me introduce you first. <laughs> Chill. So I'll jump you straight into it. <laughs> he's, <laughs> he's been a good friend of mine for nearing 20 years. I was uh, gracious enough to be a part of his, uh, a part of his wedding. It was gracious union. Ladies and gentlemen, the person who didn't wear shorts for a good three quarters of PE, but he wore these like cut off sweats that were, were acceptable. Like for the first two days, Clarendon was coach. Clarendon was not taking it. He's all like, yeah, we're going to have to mark you off. But then like three quarters into it, it's like, damn, this fool, those are the only sweats he's got. Those are the only green sweats he's got. So we're just going to have to let this slide. Jonathan Ford. It is a pleasure to finally have you on one of my podcasts. Welcome, my, and thank you for my, sitting with us. Welcome, welcome. My guy. First of all, I want to give shots out to our Lord and Savior, Poseidon. And um, I just want to say that, <laughs> hey, guys, you guys do one of the best podcasts out there. Um, first of all, I love you guys. You guys are basically my wingmans of life. And uh, the only reason why I do podcasts is so I can emulate your, your guys' greatness. Hey, man, we're only building each other up. And you know what? You know, we're here sharpening each other's swords. We're fellow blacksmiths in this game. Pause. You know what pause, I mean? Pause. So if you ever need your sword sharpened, John, I got you, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so you, I, I'm glad that you uh, accepted to be a part of this segment. And I want you to um, let, let me know how you constructed this list of the five movies you must see before you die. What what came into play with this? I'm interested okay. to hear this. Yeah, because I need your perspective on it. Because you and I, our connection that started initially in high school came off of... We ended up realizing that we both loved Chappelle's show as much Ooh. as... It was like second to none. Like Seriously, we were probably like the only two openly like guys who were like... Chappelle's show is hilarious. Yeah. And everybody was like, do you like that show for real? And I'm like, yeah. And we're like, you guys don't? And they're like, well, no, we, we love it, but we're scared to say it because it's not like the normal humor. And we're just like, well, that's sad. Watching it now, it's definitely, <laughs> definitely controversial. But going back to... It's perfect, though. Oh, absolutely. Now, even watching it, watching it now, realizing it's almost at the 20-year mark, it's still like, wow, now this stuff is controversial. This stuff is, again, now timeless no, it's you know, and it's so funny because I don't, I never saw it as controversial. I always saw it as a, a level up. Like you have to be a certain type of, you have to get a certain type of humor to actually understand Dave Chappelle and accept it as well, and not be yeah, and like not scoff at it, and scoff at yeah. it just because of it doesn't it doesn't fly uh, on your radar. You know, you might get exactly don't get offended by it. You know what I mean? Just accept it. Um, like a lot of. Yeah, like a lot of people, they take the half-baked approach. And it's like, 
dude, half bake was like getting you in there, but it's the Chappelle show takes you like over the rainbow. So the five movies that you have on this list, Jonathan, uh, let's go back mm-hmm. to the question at the top. What um, what came into play? What factors came into play? You picking the five movies. I have the five listed in front of me, but I want to, uh, before you introduce the five movies, uh, I want you to let the people know what came into play on that. Okay, so the, the reason why I picked these five movies is for one, they had a integral effect on my life. Like, you know, anybody could watch a movie. You know, anybody can make a movie. And you're like, okay, it's a movie. And you go about your business. But there are some movies that are just like, I have to buy it. I have to research it. I have to watch it over and over and over just to get it. Like, I have to, I have to like, immerse myself into that that movie. So, um, it's like, like most, the movies on my, on my list, I had to look at them not only as movies, but like a piece of art. You know, you, you, you can't just look at an art piece and walk by and be like, oh, that's cool. No, you have to be like, why did the painter do brush strokes like that why did they use oil paints when they could use acrylic paints why did this why did that you know it invokes something in you that's that's the reason why i picked these movies because they they did something for me like if they took me back to my childhood or they they brought out a part of me that i never knew that i i liked and i, I never understood why until i watched them and, and and stuff like that that's the reason why i picked those those five so Go ahead and let's let's list off the five movies that you have. Are we going to go from the fifth to the first, like his top? I, or I want to know also too to add to this because I only had him as five. Yeah, me too. Um, there, these are no particular order. I'm, yeah, I'm assuming. No. Yeah, no particular order whatsoever. Like I can literally watch any of these any time of the year, day, whatever, and I'll still feel the same way. Oh, okay, because you even put like a couple of adult movies. And I had to scratch those out because they were you were in over excess. <laughs> There's a couple. Of, you had ho. You had ho 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 for the holidays. Oh, I see. Uh, and then those, and those then you had um, you had this other Santa's draws. So Santa's I didn't. We had to take those two Ryan's out. Private. No, it was Santa's balls. <laughs> so I want you to go ahead with those uh, those five movies that you got for us, John. All right. So the first movie that just instinctively came to my head like when you said pick your favorite five movies this this is actually a trilogy okay so with trilogies and series we're only going to count them as one movie to to save as far as like slots on this five so go ahead okay so with this first one it is the christopher nolan batman trilogy excellent choice yeah that trilogy alone is just crazy for the simple fact of it wasn't a campy batman trilogy it literally, it, it took some depth. It took some, okay, real life applications. Even though half the stuff that he did, in, well, three quarters of the stuff that he did in that movie was completely far fetched. It just, it just seemed like it could be real. Yeah, and a lot of it, the majority of it, is grounded in reality. You have this, you have this man and Bruce Wayne actually just trying to do the good for the city of Gotham, the city he was raised in, the city he lost his parents in. It's the three movies combined, even with the dark Knight, for a long time was in the top five highest grossing movies of all time. Um, The trilogy alone, it sets up beautifully in Batman, uh, Batman begins. It goes into this, all these facts yeah the factors a lot of factors came into play for the dark knight mainly one being heath ledger's passing before the movie ended up uh being released 
but then you had the third you know you had the 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 third movie in the end of the trilogy which to me mm-hmm. to me is the best movie out of all yes. three i That's feel all. i feel that i say it a lot on different podcasts including this one that bane was the only villain on there besides a little bit of Ra's al Ghul to to physically thwart batman to mentally yeah. to mentally thwart batman and he wasn't spoilers ahead but he wasn't even the main villain more like a, a, a very very great pawn in the game that uh yeah. Tali al Ghul was playing in the whole movie yeah i think a so lot yeah, of pieces I, came into play like one a lot of people were upset about heath ledger playing that role uh because of all the roles he's played before and a lot of the you know romantic comedies and stuff like that he's played so they kind of weren't weren't expecting him to pull off this stunning performance as joker that was one factor second factor is all the the um the script writing was like brilliant because it all pushed things forward it all had a purpose it told a lot without saying much and then each scene the way nolan put together these scenes the way he introduced the joker he didn't even have to he didn't have to show batman at all in the first scene because we already know you know batman everybody knows batman but the way he introduced joker in that folklore you know type of way was just a, a brilliant way to start things off in that in that film but the whole trilogy itself is kind of like the whole sandwich you know you put it all together it's like great and, and you have these three the three villains that you see predominantly in the three movies you have Ra's al Ghul played amazingly by Liam Neeson you have yeah. Heath Ledger by played by the Joker um even um the gentleman that played uh that played the Scarecrow mm-hmm. he, oh my God, he's the only the only villain to survive the whole uh <laughs> survive the trilogy um, oh, you guys have any favorite scenes out of the three? Any like? Your what, what's your favorite scene out of uh, out of uh, so, the, the three uh, Nolan Batman's, John? Okay, so uh, here's here's my take on it. For like number two was to me the best acting. Number three was the best movie all around. Uh, but the, my favorite my favorite scene in the whole mo- in, in the whole trilogy is when um, the Joker is setting the mob's money on fire. And then he says, how about, a, and he tells the mob guy, he's like, how about I cut you up and feed you to your pooch and we'll, and I'll show you how loyal a hungry dog can, can really be. And I was like, holy shit. <laughs> oh, oh my God. Had all that money piled up and just set it afire, just proving <laughs> that it was, this guy is beyond financial then, success. He's just, he's just a man that wants to see the world burn, as he said. Lit- literally nobody like it's giving me chills this moment because it's like dude he had enough money to change his life around to to change like to 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 fund any scheme he wanted he he had enough money there but he said it's not about the money it's about the message and it was like oh oh my god like that's why i believe that was the best acting in, in the whole trilogy beautifully said Beautifully said. Isaiah, is there anything you wanted to cap off with uh, the Nolan trilogy that you wanted to put in? Uh, I just, I mean, it wasn't expected. And now it's him doing these these films have now put like almost like a mystique on doing Joker. And now it's like a, you know, everybody, when somebody's going to be the Joker, everybody's kind of like, oh, you know, like the expectation is now yeah. the bar's raised. And before it was like, you know, it was iconic that Jack Nicholson did him. But now it's like anybody who does them, it's like the bar. They're shooting for that Oscar. The bar is high. Yeah, they're definitely shooting for that Oscar. (laughs) So the short list that I had uh, before we end on this, uh, on briefly talking about the Nolan trilogy, is the short list for the people that were auditioning or rumored to be casted as the Joker. We had 
the short list that I know of offhand is Johnny Depp. You had um, Edward Norton. You also had um, oh, you also good. had Robin Williams. Yeah, Robin Williams. Robin yeah. Yes, and you know, Robin can. He's done. He's done evil villains. He's done joyous. He's ninety percent of the time he plays this like joyous man, uh, yeah. kind of like in uh, Dead Poet Society. But I mean, seeing I wanted to see that evolution in Robin Williams where he gets the main flagpole villain role mm-hmm. in the Joker, but I, didn't happen. You know, I think Norton has a look. Yeah. You know, but uh, I don't know. Yeah. Jo- all, all Norton has to do is sneeze into a pile of cocaine and then, like, put red <laughs> lipstick on, and then he is the Joker. He's good to go. Yeah, he's good to go. He's like, ah, oh, where do I start? Um, you know, I was, I was kind of hoping that they would have cast Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. Oh, that would have been nice, too. Yeah, yeah just, I, because, just because I saw Jim Carrey in the movie 23, and I saw him play a role that wasn't the typical Jim Carrey role. He was demonic, almost, in, in yeah. that movie. So yeah. I was like, oh. That might not be too much of a stretch. So I'm so I'm thinking that the Jim Carrey the Jim Carrey's role in Yes Man didn't do it for you. Yeah, not at all. You know the, the, the Red Bull scene <laughs> was just yes, uh, yeah. You know, he did the Riddler, but if he had a chance to do a more serious, you know, uh, role, I think he could have even pulled that too. He could have pulled that off too. Yeah, but. exactly. The um. So that what was the next movie that you had on this uh, on this top okay. five? Okay, so the next movie that I had, um, it it it, uh, it was the first real. It's another trilogy. It's well, no, now it's like a. It's, all, it's its own little like a cinematic <laughs> it's universe. Like, That's yeah, the like literally its own universe. Is the Rocky franchise. Got it. Now, okay. Yeah. Now the reason why I love the Rocky franchise is because for one, um, solely it's based on a true story. I guess the first couple of movies are based on a true story. That. Um, two, it's like that was Sylvester Stallone's like, coming out party. That was his... To me, that's his magnus opus. Like, there's nothing he can do better than Rocky. Well, he is Rocky to me. Um, the, the the fact that he had Mr. T played Clever Lane. Like, Clever Lane and the and, and the, the Russian are, to me, two of the biggest villains in cinematic history. For the for the simple fact that, he, that, that Clever Lane killed Mickey. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> Shut the hell <laughs> He killed Mickey. Okay, he pushed him and Mickey heart exploded. Like I don't care what anybody says. And and, and for the Russian killed Apollo Oh Creed. man. Like sit in the ring, like dude, like that movie franchise is like it's it's ridiculous. Just like Rocky's like he he's literally battling a different form of inner strength in every movie. Yeah. You know, in and, and number in number three, when he goes up against Clever Lane, he literally has to say, "Look, I I have to reinvent myself. I can't fight this dude the way I'm known to fight." And it hurts. It's, it's scary because he's like, "I don't want to fail you guys against the Russian." They were like, "There's no way you're going to beat this guy. He's literally on steroids, and, he, <laughs> and he's literally punching at a two thousand psi. If he hits you, you're going to die." I.e., Apollo Creed. Whatever he hits. He destroys. Whatever he has, he destroys. He's on fentanyl. What, so. what, what better? What better way to fight a, a, a Soviet sympathizer than on Christmas Day in freaking Moscow? In Moscow, <laughs> in the snow. so that's so Rocky Four right there. And, and like, it was it, it, it was so political also because at that time you know we weren't the best friends with Russia, so it was showing Russia as this cheating superpower. And it was showing America as this, no matter what we have to do, we'll do it country. Like, 
you know, they didn't need, you know, steroids. It, all it, he needed was a, he was a, he, all he needed was a barn and a mirror with Drago's picture on it. And some oil and your wife. And some oil, your for, wife, yeah. and, uh, and I'm pretty sure Polly's racist ass. <laughs> <laughs> Like, that's all he needed. Yeah, you didn't need you didn't need intense physical training. All you needed is a snow, a wheelbarrow, a right. tall mountain, some stairs, oh, and oh. some stairs. He, he ran up a mountain wearing a Sherpa's jacket. Yeah, this is Dro- beautiful. I'm sorry, that was that, was, and then it spawned off to Creed, which gave Michael B. Jordan his his big big shot. Like right, like Sylvester Stallone really he he created something that's gonna last a lifetime with the Rocky franchise. Beautifully said. Yeah, with with the Rocky franchise, it came to and the person that you are mentioning that it, it was loosely based on. It was a, a gentleman by the name of Jerry Cooney, yeah, who uh, yeah. who was basically this guy who was working inside like a, a liquor store, uh, and ended up working up the ranks and ended up fighting Muhammad Ali. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, and that makes so much sense because. Oh wait, okay. take that back. Larry Holmes. Larry Holmes. Uh, but still, Larry Holmes that at that s- at that point still was uh, had the most heavyweight title defenses and was yeah. undefeated during that time. But still, uh, the the beauty about that is Stallone writes it, mm. and he was like, "I want to direct it," and ends up winning uh, the seventy six best picture. Big break for him. That was a big, that paid big, off so well for bro, him. Like, can you imagine being like having nothing? Literally, he sold his dog. I remember that story. To, yeah. And he, yeah, he had to buy it back for like I think twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> how much oh you gonna sell me back the pooch for? Well, how much you wanna sell me back, Roscoe? <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the dog's name was Roscoe. I I love the fact that you added this movie, uh, this movie series into this list because I mean, uh, to. To, to summarize the whole Rocky franchise, it, it literally shows you every stage of adversity, whether you're coming up, coming up, coming up as an athlete, rematching in the second one, defending yourself against people that are trying to chase you at the top in the fourth. You, I, I guess I, I guess defeating communism in the fourth one. <laughs> Metaphorically telling him. I will beat you and then take your wife. Oh, yeah. At your, at your statue, Sarah. Hey, woman. He's all, hey, woman. He said, how about you come over here and come over and mess with a real man? I was like, whoa. That? I was like, this is boxing. What, you, right? what is this? Like, if that's not Mike Tyson, I don't know what is. Put, uh, definitely put a lot of people on the map, too. I know that... Um, yeah, man. I know that Carl Weathers was former a former Raider before he ended up yeah. coming into acting. Mm-hmm. This put uh, this gave the vehicle for uh, for Mr. T to go on the A team. This also yeah. gave Dolph Lundgren the uh, the vehicle to do. He ended up doing Master of the Universe. Played a played oh, He Man. I remember that. Oh God, that was fun. Yeah, so definitely it, it was a series that helped out a lot of people in many different ways and many different paths, and still at its core was a very successful movie franchise. Yeah, it was. Like, a lot of people don't understand is that Dolph Lundgren actually has a PhD. I didn't know that. uh, The way he... Sorry to assume anything, but the way he speaks, it's... (laughs) The way he speaks, I don't know if he has a diploma. But uh, (laughs) I guess they're giving those away in Eastern Europe. But, but yeah, he uh, he has a PhD. Carl Weathers um, was a linebacker for the Raiders for a minute. Um, God, who else was it? 
Hell, even in Rocky Four, the one or five, the one that nobody talks oh, about. Oh yeah, yeah. Knows. Tommy Morrison was a heavyweight, uh, WBC heavyweight yeah. champion at one point. Yeah, like that's even true. That alone, dude. Like I don't know. Like the Rocky, to me, the Rocky franchise. Like I could watch that again, just like the Christopher Nolan series. I, I could watch that and and still feel like to me, it's not even. It's a boxing movie, but it's more of like the acting is to me is better than the boxing. I feel like Rocky kind of transcends into reality and then also into like movie film. It's kind of half and half because, like you said, we see uh, uh, we see him almost as Rocky, you know, rather than Sylvester Stallone. We kind of see him as Rocky in real life, like when he goes to boxing matches and they always cut to him and like like if he's done something yeah. like in boxing himself, <laughs> like, like he has real titles to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's always like, mm, and you know, he gets the credit because he puts his fist up like he's gonna put in some work. <laughs> And then Evander Holyfield, everyone's like, oh, hey, Evander. Hey, <laughs> Evander. Wow, that's jacked up. The, uh, <laughs> I have, uh, I want you to, I for the next movie that you have on your list, Jonathan, mm-hmm. I never expected you to put this on the list. Like, I was, I saw my phone and then I, like, pulled away to thought, I thought I was, I needed my eyes checked. I thought you put something else. Um, I thought you put this by mistake. Put um, not not saying it's a bad movie, but I'm definitely surprised. Geely, not do you say Geely? He she, he thinks you put Geely up there. Geely, you already know, man. I love Geely. <laughs> He's like, no, no, it's Daredevil. No, no. it's Daredevil with, uh, with Ben Affleck. Great movie. Great movie. Should have won Oscar. Go ahead and introduce the third movie on your list, John. Okay, so so the third movie on my list. Um, the only reason why I put that on our list is because at, at my heart, I'm an actor, and at my heart, I I do the actor stuff, and this movie is Grease with John Travolta and Olivia Newton-John. Okay. Um, it, it is, right? <laughs> it's funny because I like this movie so much that I actually saw the Broadway play on uh, YouTube. Um, and it's funny because the guy who played John Travolta's best friend actually played John Travolta's part on Broadway. And oh, when he, okay. And, and when he heard that he wasn't going to play the role that John Travolta got, he got kind of pissed off, but I, I believe they said that they, they uh, raised his pay a little bit. Yeah, so like he Scotty was just Pippen. like, all right, I guess I'll do it. <laughs> you pay me how much? Okay, I know those lines too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I know those lines. I know them all. Yeah, I, 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 <laughs> if you need me to be Frenchy, I can do her too. Yeah, I can do Frenchy. I can do it all. What you need? <laughs> what you need? I got it, baby. <laughs> Sound like a straight crackhead. So, <laughs> I didn't, you know what, to, to even segue off of this, I didn't, I didn't see any brothers at Rydell High. There wasn't any, and that's the funny thing about it, because when I, I'm watching it my whole life, and I'm just, I'm seeing all, you know, shabbity bop dee bop ding 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 you don't want to be here. <laughs> yeah, right? And I'm just like, oh, man, I want to go to Rydell High. Rydell High is cool. And then in the background, you see a sign that says, no colors allowed. Oh, God. Like, oh, damn. <laughs> in the back, you're just like, white's only water. The, and uh, like, wow. The, football team sucks. The, <laughs> <laughs> I um, which which goes into playing into my point of I was definitely surprised that uh, you had this movie added onto your list. Um, the to me, I I enjoy watching Grease here and there. If it's on TV with family, I'll watch it. It's still it's still a movie that's entertaining. Seeing John Travolta in its infancy, you know, uh, before he goes into. Saturday Night Fever and all that before he... There's very few musical-type movies that would be cast as, like, one of the tops. Like, yeah. there's Singing in the Rain, and then there's Grease. Like, yeah. It's, it's, like, two... 
like that don't traditionally really make it there. Like people don't consider musicals kind of in that realm, but they just happen to be kind of like, I don't know. I don't they know they it make is, it. They yeah. they break through that. They break hey, the, look. Yeah, they break through it. This isn't. Know. This actually breaks up to the outside barrier of the general the general audience of of film. Yeah. And as soon as you break through to that, the floodgates open. You know, yeah. and it's I find it really hard for movies back then uh, to to trend. I I still do not know the algorithm of how things how movies trended back then. You know, word of mouth traveled a lot slower so for movies like uh movies like uh casablanca snow white if 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 adjusted for inflation they become the most highest grossing movies of all time so in in same thing with greece greece being the most profitable uh musical of all time uh through the theaters that's the it's the same the same questions go with that it broke the mold and how it became successful that's just it was not, not surprising because of how good the film is yeah and the thing about it though is um i was also i also looked it up and it's really hard for a broadway musical to transverse into a movie yeah especially when you're using somewhat different actors but when when you're able to do it the right way you know you get grease and when you do it the wrong way you get cats. Well, well said. You end up with a CGI Idris Elba. Yeah, no one wants to see that. I, I want to see full-fledged, in-person Idris Elba. Right. No one I'm needs thinking. to see. No one needs to see. I, I heard. I didn't even need to see cats. Get cats. <laughs> yeah, man. Like, the only movie that I feel like is comparable to, to Grease would be Rank. Beautiful, yeah. No, that's it's the two thousands, uh, two thousand. What was it? Oh five, oh four's rent. Oh five, yeah. Just, to, everyone, good. everyone had good. the DVD. Yeah. Do you want to? Do you want like an icebreaker for dates? Do you want to see rent? And I'm like, no, turn that off. <laughs> turn that off, or I'm turned off. Right, you're making my dicks off. <laughs> turn on Rambo, please. Yeah, exactly. I have I have Predator. Do you want to watch Predator? That's a that's a hey. You know what? That's a good movie to watch on a first date. Yeah, just put put the put the insinuations in there now. Um, so the um, the beauty about Greece uh, to me, before I hand it off to you to put uh, add more input on uh, Isaiah, is that you have. You have a film that everyone knows roughly knows almost all the words. There's still yep. there's still catchphrases and things people say. I still remember the line of "Hey Sandy, you just can't walk out of a drive-in movie." <laughs> like, like I, why do I know that? I don't know. I've seen Grease too many times. You know. Sandy. Yeah. Oh, Danny. It's all Danny. for the three quarters of the movie. It's just <laughs> Olivia Newton-John just saying Danny's name like that. Right, with this crappy Australian accent. Oh man. Summer love, summer loving, huh? Oh my summer god, loving. crazy! Yeah. So Isaiah, as far as Greece plays into your into your uh, into your life, I mean, did you watch it often? What do you think? No, honestly, this is actually tell me one more. of the few movies tell me more. I haven't seen. Tell me more, tell me. I've seen bits and pieces. Pump the brakes here, John, because Isaiah hasn't seen Greece. I haven't actually seen. Greece. I appreciate the honesty. Yeah. I definitely appreciate the honesty. But I know I know it's a I know it's a it's another one uh, another good film. Well, I say it's the exact opposite of Blood In and Blood Out. <laughs> that's a fair that's a fair take. So you might not like uh, it. That's funny. 
Oh, that's a good idea. Okay, now I can, uh, now I can picture sure. it. Oh, yeah. now I want to watch it. <laughs> Thanks for the comparison. <laughs> I want to um, talk about going to Polar Opposites on your next film. Oh, man. <laughs> Night and day. Oh, man. Well, forgive the pun on that one. Uh, so we're going, we're going from Greece and I'd love for you to introduce this, uh, this movie because it's still, I think it's the main actor that plays in this film and the director both benefited from each other. And I I want you to get into it. I know that you could speak about it more, more than I can on it. Um, okay. So the next movie, uh, the only reason why I picked this movie is because for one, it literally not only entertained me as a kid, it also changed me as a man, which is uh, Malcolm X. Um, and let me tell you why. Okay, so uh, I think everybody, if not, has seen Malcolm X. They've seen a Malcolm X meme. So they know Denzel Washington played the crap out that role. Uh, uh, I cannot so agree with you more. Yeah, He played the crap out of Malcolm X, you know. And, and for Spike Lee, for one, it's in the movie. And for two, directed that movie, like, to me, Malcolm X is a quintessential movie not only for black people to go see, but anybody to go see. Just because it starts off as a man who's lost. He finds himself, and he realizes, like, hey, what I've been following was a lie, and I need, and hopefully I can I can push it back to the truth, and he ends up being murdered. So it's kind of like it's not even a it's a it's not even a black thing or it's a white thing. It's more of a coming to realizations with truth and self. Yep. You know, like like literally in America, you know, Malcolm Malcolm X was taught that oh, you know, white people are the devil and this and that, and then he and he does what he's supposed to do, which is goes on his pilgrimage to Mecca, and he's breaking bread with white Muslims, and he's like everything that I've been taught was a lie everything and he literally had to question his religion and faith and as a human that's the hardest thing you can do yeah question that's the hardest thing you can do is question what builds you up what makes you like if today somebody told you mark that what you've been studying what you've been practicing what builds you up what have built you up is wrong you look at them and be like okay crazy and get out my face and then you know and then you realize like oh god they were right you know, you'll, you'll almost break down in a sense. Yep. Yeah. During, uh, uh, I could say that about the, uh, my Yu-Gi-Oh cards. Um, I, I believed in the heart of the cards for the longest, longest time. And I was told I was wrong that the, the heart of the cards, uh, don't, uh, don't follow suit. And I was like, oh damn, I had to reinvent myself. <laughs> I had to reinvent myself once Pokemon. <laughs> no, but you're absolutely right in the regard of what Malcolm X had to go through because with him, realizing that hey look the the faith of islam like all these other faiths they do involve various cultures various races and that definitely doesn't follow suit with what the nation of islam was trying to was trying to uh to put through and that didn't really uh that didn't really sit well with elijah muhammad and just for a disclaimer i don't deny like i don't say that it's wrong what I'm saying is what I saw in the movie is what I saw in the movie. So I don't need the nation of Islam to come to my door and be like, brother, <laughs> you pork eating bastard. <laughs> like, like I, I don't need, I don't need dudes and bow ties be up in my house. Have you, have you ever uh, seen the wire where that guy from the nation I, of Islam I comes up? I think 
once or twice, but I haven't seen it. Oh, like the that. the gentleman you're talking about the gentleman for the wire that came up from New York, uh, New York. Yeah, yeah. Was like he didn't play. Yeah, there's this dude that was so like stoic in his ways, and he ended up being like this. As much as he wanted everyone to perceive that he was like without flaw, he was one of the most flawed characters there. The definitely cool character, but like um, everyone feared him though, just his presence, and he looked. Yeah. He didn't look fearful at all. He just had a bow tie, but everybody knew this guy was about his. <laughs> He's the ish. real like, deal. Yeah, they knew he was gonna. He was gonna f somebody up. The the beauty about the beauty about Malcolm, uh, the Malcolm X movie that you've mentioned, John, is that. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong. Was it only nominated for Best Picture? Did it win ninety? What was it ninety two's Best Picture? I or I'm I could be wrong in either one. I could look it up for you, Mark. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I was four, so. Oh well. Oh, so you haven't watched it since, huh? This guy. Well, I've watched it since. <laughs> no, I just want to. I just want it to play into my point that this actually is one of those. It's just. Uh, uh, it adds more accolades to Denzel more adds more accolades to Spike Lee to yes. I'm still looking it up right oh, now. Okay, it it adds to their legacy because Denzel yeah. coming at this time around uh around the early 90s was still developing still yeah. coming into his form as a, one of Denzel the best Denzel was nominated best for Academy Award for best actor. So he had the nominee yeah, he had the nomination for best actor for Malcolm X. But you, but you know that was going to give it to him for, for Malcolm X. Like, it's crazy that they had a Give it to him when he played Alonzo Harris in Training Day. Though. You know that was actually well, my introduction. You were saying Isaiah? Uh, that that's actually my introduction to Denzel Washington. Like me first seeing Denzel was first watching Malcolm X. Yeah, and I was like blown away by this dude because it almost felt like he was so into that character. It almost felt like Malcolm X himself in that character. Yeah, each each role that Denzel that Denzel plays, it's whether it's whether it's uh, John Q. Whether it's uh, whether it's the gentleman played in Glory, you don't feel like you're watching Denzel. Like you feel like you're just watching a character being played by being played, yeah, just being and, played by a great actor. And then you, you for the first five seconds, oh, there goes Denzel. But then no, that's the story comes into play, and you completely detach yourself from the actor himself uh, playing that role. You know another reason why yeah, I like this movie. Oh, jeez, Louise. <laughs> uh, equalizer or uh, Virtuosity? Okay, can we talk about Black John Wick? Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, the Equalizer. <laughs> Actually, you know what? I think I think the Equalizer came out first, right? It, like, you know, at that time, they both came out literally like a month after each other. I, I like, just want I just want Liam Neeson. Yeah. I, I just want the this movie taken by the Equalizer with John Wick. Or like... <laughs> Just combine all three of those dudes and have them do like this mixed up shootout. Literally, they will take over the world. <laughs> <laughs> Isaiah, you were saying? Well, I was going to say, like, I think this movie is also important too because I don't know what, when growing up, we were always kind of like, um, kind of, I don't know if, it, if we were all taught this, but like, it kind of seemed like MLK, you know, kind of did it the right way and Malcolm X maybe didn't because it was like more ag- aggressive against aggression. Um, but I think this movie helps also portray that it wasn't exactly like that, uh, like the way we were told growing up, you know, that MLK had some some good ideas, too, you know, as far as fighting back, you know, aggression and stuff like that. Um, and I don't know, I always see it in, in uh, X-Men's point of view, you know, Magneto. Oh, yeah, where Magneto it, yeah, has a different philosophy or different way of, of combating, you know, um, uh, uh, racism and stuff like that. So, um 
I think this movie also helps just see from another point of view, from Malcolm X's point of view, you know, that it just kind of helps break that idea that we were taught growing up that it was, you know, just MLK who had the right ideas, but you know, Malcolm X, it kind of shows his character too. And, you know, kind of behind the scenes of who he was, I think. I don't know. Yeah. Well said on that, especially with a movie like this and going into what you're saying as well. Some of the history books don't ever come to the, come to the point where they realize, well, Malcolm X came full circle. He ended up realizing that, being a one-dimensional uh, person with uh, with his uh, faith and reasoning, as soon as he broke away from that, that's when he became a, a lot more volatile to the Nation of Islam because if the Nation of Islam doesn't have Malcolm X as their main anchor, their main draw, this is where it becomes a problem. Yeah. And also what the Nation did was, it was kind of crazy because he thought that he can actually get back into the Nation by bringing in Muhammad Ali. And when Muhammad Ali was accepted into the nation, he thought that, okay, Muhammad Ali would, like, vouch for him and be like, hey, he's good. But Muhammad Ali said, I'm with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad. Um, yep. I don't know you. And then he was just like, oh, okay, I see what this is. <laughs> yeah, that's tough. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to die either, do you, Muhammad Ali? <laughs> <laughs> he said, okay. No. So right. in, in that film, I think the film, for, for what it's worth, it was very, very well done. I know that Spike, this is... Spike Lee's most uh, most thought provoking movie, you know. I, I think uh, I think movies like like uh, like Malcolm X, um, movies like uh, To Do the Right Thing, and, and the, it, even Black Klansman. They they Black all three of these. Just about to say that yeah. it's kind of crazy how he worked with the father and the son. He's like John yeah. the Baptist. <laughs> <laughs> Sp- Sp- uh, Spike the Baptist Lee joint. Oh, wow. Spike, the Back- Spike the Baptist Lee joint. Um, I appreciate the input you could provide on Malcolm X, John, especially, especially when we're talking about movies like that. Um, because I'm black. No, I'm black. Wow. <laughs> and wow. that is the last episode we have here on Come Sit With Us. I'm finally exposed. <laughs> oh, so you brought a brother along to talk about Malcolm X. <laughs> Oh, um, the the final movie that you have on your list. <laughs> um, I once again, I want to thank you guys for tuning in to come sit with us. Uh, for those that have uh, are fast forwarding it, coming into this, this is I'm doing this five uh, these five lists of films you must see before you die. I'm doing Jonathan Ford's side, and then we will do Isaiah's uh, list shortly after, followed with mine, culminating in 15 films you must see before you die. Jonathan, I want you to give me the the final film on your list. All right. So the final film on my list, um, it came about because it was a movie. It was the movies that me and my dad used to watch together. Um, they hold a special special place in my heart because uh, me and my dad, we didn't have a lot of things that we that we had in common, but this was one of the things that we knew when it came on TV. Boom, we're watching it. So um, it's the uh, Indiana Jones trilogy because. Screw that fourth one. Yeah. The trilogy. Yeah. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull does not exist in my in my not, mind. It's, li- it's literally Dragon Ball GT. Yeah, it'd be the Dragon Ball GT of the <laughs> Indiana Jones series. Uh, the Indiana Jones verse. I am with you 100% on this. You hit the nail on the head, though it is not on my top five. Uh, I certainly agree with you adding this to the to your top five because. 
it's every movie, every which one of those movies is nonstop action. And you talk about and you talk about a relationship with your dad in The Last Crusade. Incredibly done with the 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 the, the chemistry of <laughs> the chemistry of Sean Connery, the late Sean Connery and and Harrison Ford. Um but the the funny thing about that is is that they're only like eleven or twelve years apart in that movie. So I, I guess Sean Connery had a had a kid <laughs> at like twelve years old. Um, but no, that's the, the the beauty of it is that you do see, hey, look, this guy could be his son. And I think that the back and forth that they had in the Last Crusade, well done. As you guys know, um, it took me like I only knew about this like five or six years ago that Temple uh, that the Temple of Doom was actually a prequel. Yes, I, I found that out too, and also yeah, it was a, the it was a prequel to to the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. It was like the Temple of Doom. It, it was weird because well, I'm sorry, not Temple of Doom. Um, number two, Last Crusade. No, Last no, no. Crusade, well, are you? Yeah. Well, see, this is where it's confusing. Are we talking about now the timeline, or we're going for the three movies? I'm, I'm sorry, Temple of Doom. Yes, that was a. Uh, that was a prequel, and it all started with Spielberg saying, "Hey, I wonder what it would look like if somebody jumped out out of a plane in a in a in a raft." Yeah, and literally, it built from that. Even the, like that's crazy. The beauty, the beauty about that, and the reason <laughs> why they ended up uh, doing Temple of Doom as a prequel. I guess the whole notion is is that they didn't want to fight. Uh, they didn't want uh, Spielberg didn't want to people fighting Nazis again for the second time, and that's Why not? what. It's fun. <laughs> as fun as it is to punch a Nazi in the face, I would I would definitely enjoy to do that. The uh, I, I guess that that was the idea to where like it, you break off from it because as you know in the Last Crusade they end up you know Nazis are at it again trying to find <laughs> the, the the chalice of Christ or uh, the the. <laughs> the um but nonstop action each each frame of that movie there is some sort of turmoil there's never a like you barely see indiana jones be a professor for like 10 whole minutes <laughs> and, that's, and, and that's another reason why i love that movie so much is because this dude is a freaking teacher like his day job is teaching it belongs like, in a museum it belongs in a museum <laughs> it's like dude you've been searching this thing for 20 years let it go let it let this cross of Cortez go. The, even um, what's his name? Uh, River was it River? River, yeah, River Phoenix was in the River, Last Crusade. Yeah, yeah, he was a little, he played little Indiana Jones, and it's funny mm-hmm. because before he died, he was supposed to play little Indiana on the TV series. Yeah, I, I believe he was. I believe he actually uh, started that off until uh, until uh, his untimely demise. Yeah, unfortunately, man. Like seriously, like that, like that, that trilogy is like is so cool to me. Just because, for one, he's a teacher. For two, he's doing all these things literally on spare time. And for yeah. three, ev- like every, like every, every movie, it had a sense of like truth to what it was saying to it. Like, oh, you know, the the Knights of Templar and this and that. Yeah, and, l- like and, like how Angels and Demons had it. Like the Da Vinci Code. Everything is loosely grounded in some sort of truth until you know until the story has to take its way same thing with uh, the holy grail like the, the holy grail isn't a, a made-up thing prop for the last crusade this is actually um, like a, a, a goblet a that like yeah. three countries claim to have that are I, I guess one country actually has this like 
chalice that they think is the the, the holy grail and they have it on like 24 7 surveillance so these are definitely articles that people i don't know about the temple of doom i think it was like a what was it, like a stone or a ruby that they were looking for oh i only, I only remember that dude getting his heart taken out <laughs> they were looking for these stones that um, oh yes that basically uh like it controlled the drought level like, yeah it, it gave so power crazy. to the village yeah it gave power to like the streams like seriously like temple of doom was i didn't really jump on temple of doom because i was so enamored by sean connery's acting in the last crusade that i was just i was always stuck on the last crusade always yeah, for for me it's uh for me it's uh, uh Raiders of the Lost Ark. I I, I find that that's just that t- like just typical like the best introduction you can find for this hero like the swashbuckling treasure hunter, avoiding traps like fifteen minutes into the film, and. <laughs> You're like, oh, is that Han Solo? I, yes, yeah. exactly. Like, <laughs> and and trust me, you're better off getting Harrison Ford playing that than we would have had uh, uh, Burt Reynolds. Burt like, Burt Reynolds, Burt Reynolds was on the short list to play Indiana Jones, and then you had um, Hawaii Five O's uh, Tom Selleck. Those so, hairy <laughs> both of them. <laughs> if you can't afford Burt Reynolds, you can get the uh, Diet Coke version, which is Tom Selleck. But <laughs> but Tom Harrison Selleck. Ford. Excellent choice. I think uh, there is no there is no success without having an anchor of an actor such as Harrison Ford for those movies. And then you see a lot of a lot of uh, copycats along the way. You had Michael Douglas's uh, the Queen of the the Queen of the Nile or whatever that one was called. Um, if you don't remember that, trust me, it's nothing to remember by anyway. Um, <laughs> if you don't remember that, don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The only time you'd hear crickets on a podcast. I must see it, Mark. I must find this. <laughs> All right, the River of the Nile. Yeah, it was the last movie inside Blockbuster before they tore it down. <laughs> <laughs> Such an artifact. I need That's it. It do. belongs in a museum. It, it belongs in a museum. <laughs> Isaiah, Isaiah, for these three movies, I mean, what what do you take away from them? I know John and I can probably speak hours upon hours on this, but yeah. it, it culminated in its own ride at Disneyland, which I enjoy myself. I love that ride. Oh my. God, that ride is so dope. I just think it was so iconic, uh, you know, uh, coming out. I love the way they introduced him uh, off the bat. They didn't they didn't show his face at all, so they just showed like his hand, him grabbing the whip and stuff like that. I love how they made, built up that suspense to introduce this character, um, and I I, um, I love the way Harrison Ford improv some things, um, and you know he he kind of embodied that character and who that character was like. I'm talking about the the famous scene where you know this guy's doing all this sword action like wah, 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 and he just pulls out a gun and just blasts <laughs> yeah, pulls him out and, a gun yeah. and just shoots him. <laughs> I mean Dude, that I was wasn't like, that, I, that wasn't I got planned. time for this. Yeah, that wasn't right, planned was in the, the movie, bones, but he like, just ah, boom. Yeah. Um. So I I, I just I I love um I love I love all I love the trilogy um and I just think it's it's so iconic, man. Who who knew a whip can do anything like like yeah. like what he was doing throughout? <laughs> Grab things, yeah. You know, and then, you know, I love all that too. I love like figuring all that. Like we love God of War, we love Uncharted, and these games they have like these these things you got to figure out. You know, these certain traps. You know, there's a certain thing, there's a certain element to it in these movies where he's going through temples and all these hidden you know uh, dungeons or whatever it is. 
you know, and there's like traps and things that he has to also worry about. Right. So like the pace of, a, of an all out action of an all out action film like Indiana Jones, it definitely has its peaks and valleys where where you Indiana Jones has to figure something out before you can keep progressing towards uh, towards yeah. his goal. So just just like that, um, like even playing the, the games that you mentioned, like God of War and Charted. Both of those, oh, the, the tempos of those games definitely match the elements that Indiana Jones probably set the set the set the uh, the pace for. Yeah, set the tone for, yeah. Tomb Raider, like those, like he literally set the groundwork for those games. Absolutely, that's what I love Uncharted. Oh my god, the that's the beauty about uh, Indiana Jones and the whole series, uh, the first three movies, just because you have. Storylines that start in the beginning, you never know Indiana Jones's full name until you realize, like, oh wow, he's actually Henry Jones Jr. Henry, Jr. Henry Jones Jr. <laughs> the the beauty the beauty of that <laughs> that this guy is just always trying to he'll sacrifice a lot for the preservation of history, and it's That's not. It. And he's he's a, he's a scumbag. He's a scumbag and a womanizer, <laughs> but you know, for the sake of history, for he'll. The sake of history. He'll do it. He'll, yeah, he even took down that Nazi chick, even though his dad tagged yeah, it first. His which dad is... tapped her. And the funny thing about it was, I liked Indiana Jones because he was smooth. Like that one scene where he was like walking down the, ho- the hallway in the castle, and he's like, he's in here. And she's like, how did, how do you know? And he looked, and he didn't even, look, he didn't look up at all. He just pointed up at the corner of the door and said, because it's rigged. And I was like, how, how would you know that, Indiana? First time going anywhere, this guy's always figuring it out. Always knows where he's stepping. How did you know that? It's you in the even, script. From the, from the moment you stepped into this house to the moment right now, you haven't looked up not once. You, your peripheral vision isn't that great. Brendan, Brendan Fraser from the Mummy series has a lot to give up to. It's and and think and he has to probably thank a little Harrison Ford statue every day because yeah. you you have you have the same success as the Mummy series because of the same elements that you can get oh, from the, the same the elements mummy, you drew away from uh, the Indiana Jones series. Mm-hmm. The Mummy series had so much like it it could have been so much better. Oh yeah the 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 third one. Uh, the right, I don't know. They call it like the rise of the dragon emperor or something yeah, like that. I was like, geez, I was like, there's pyramids in what Hong Kong. <laughs> What's going on? Jet Li's in the mix now. Where's, where's, uh, where's Rachel Weiss? Like I need right. her. Like bring, bring back CGI rock. Yeah. No, no. Give me lobster rock. Give me lobster, <laughs> give me, give me, rock. Give me lobster rock. Um, <clears throat> John, I want to thank you so much for providing your input for these five movies that we have on, the list of the 15 movies you must see before you die. I wanted to wrap up, uh, wrap up this segment by again, thanking you for providing your input. Um, if there's anything that you want to uh, shamelessly promote or anything of that nature, feel free to do it. Uh, you do have the open forum for it. Cool. Well, uh, as you guys know, I do my own podcast, Big Homie Speaks. Um, that's always open for discussion. It's literally a podcast for any and everything. Um, so, Hopefully, I can get you and uh, you and uh, you and anybody else who, who wants to be on it to be on it. Um, I love you guys. Uh, you, you guys still owe me five dollars for this, but uh, I'll I'll waive it this time. You know. Okay. I'll well, wait. we appreciate that because you know we we really just can't. Our budget is. <laughs> our budget is razor 
thing. Yeah, exactly. I can I can, I can barely <laughs> afford to drive out to the studio to to come in here. Yeah, There's, I think it's we we spend it all on the caviar and the uh, the, the, the various Cuban cigars that we still import from Cuba at the Cuban at the even though Cuba even though we could do a lot of stuff in Cuba now we still pay that high tax rate for importing it. It's like you guys do know this is legal. No, we want it imported no, illegally. I want to import that, okay? Big money spending over here. I want to thank but, you uh, again, John. It's been a pleasure I, to I have you, you on. Guys, man. I love I love you, Isaiah. I haven't seen Isaiah since like 2010 when he when he baptized me. You, <laughs> you wait. So you haven't you, you haven't seen Zay in over a decade? Are you, are you for I real? Because I've been in Las Vegas for like five years. Right. And I, and I haven't seen him since. Man. Uh, yeah, like in a, like five years before. Maybe no, no, no. I'm sorry. Maybe two years. So I'll give it. No, from six, ten to two years. I'm really narrowing it down there. Look at yeah, you. So maybe, so maybe six years. I haven't seen Isaiah. <laughs> But um, I there see that go. he's been working on his games, and uh, I love it. Cool, man. Well, yeah. I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll uh, catch you on the next segment that we can get you involved in. All right, John? Yeah, same. Love you, bro. All right. Same, All right. Man. I well, love you guys, and do you guys validate? Um, no. Okay. So we have <laughs> – we'll talk to you later, John. So we have now mm-hmm. the list that you're going to provide us. I – have the list ready in front of you. I see that you're shuffling through your phone, <laughs> totally prepared. Right. Your movies, again, I want to lightly chime in and say this is five movies that if if I had to shuffle around my five and my top ten, a lot of those movies are up there as well. So Yeah, four of these movies I'm about to list, I just saw this year too. So... I'm completely new to it, but and you're sold on the idea that you must see them. You're, you're putting off to the audience that you must see them. Before. Sold, sold, must see them. In fact, nice. I I made it a point to 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 watch these movies because of how great they were, and I've never seen them. Um, so tons of honorable mentions. There's a lot of great movies that we could have put. Um, I feel like in this top five, but I chose the five movies that really did. Um, not only were they great, but they actually moved me as a person. And that's why I feel like they made it here on this list. So these are top five movies of mine that I feel like actually moved me. Uh, so when we just go into it. Oh yeah, please. It. By right, so, uh, so first one I have here is 2001, a space odyssey. Um, now for those who have watched the movie, you already know this is a great film for those who haven't watched the movie what is 2001 a space odyssey about um you might have seen it uh some images of they have different clips where there's um uh there's a baby in this like pod coming towards earth that's like the cover of it um and then there's some scenes where there's neanderthals you know uh all surrounding this uh monolith um but what the movie is really about it's about uh, mankind's evolution. Um, so our evolution from, um, we're talking about from prehistoric days, um, all the way to now where we have AI and everything. And, you know, the whole notion is that AI will one day take us out it'll wipe us out and it'll be the next evolution, um, uh, on this planet will be AI robots and stuff like that. We see it in judgment day. <clears throat> we see it in a lot of other movies where, man is usually outsmarted by the AI, right? But in this movie, it takes another angle and it says, well, no, what if, 
what if man outsmarts AI and we come to a point where we don't need AI because we have our own instincts that we now evolve above that. So this movie kind of tackles that idea and it's, that's why I said it changed me because it changed that fear that we would have where, you know, Ooh, one day, you know, AI is going to get too smart and it's going to, it's going to wipe us out because it's going to think we're the cancer of the earth, you know, and this movie kind of challenges that. And it says, no, you know, we actually know what we're doing and we know what, what decisions to make that are right morally or whatever. Um, and so this movie takes place in space. It's a guy who's out in space. He's, he's leading a mission because there's, um, some sort of uh, base or command or whatever that's not responding. And so they're now trying to find out why they aren't responding. And as they're doing this, there's this AI and there's a lot of double meanings and all this. And the AI has one red eye, right? It's kind of yeah, like a cyclops. The HAL 2000, right? Yes. Um, which speaks very, um, very ominous because um, it kind of sees everything. And it's kind of condescending in a little bit the way it talks to the humans. And it feels like the AI feels like it can make the best decision for what's best. You know how open the pod bay doors. Yes. And so this guy actually decides like, okay, this is AI is kind of doing its own thing. Now it's not listening to commands anymore. Now it's on its own. And he's the only guy that realizes this. And he then challenges that. I like, I like the resolution he has for how, where it's like, okay, cool. So you're not going to be, essentially doing what we need to do to help this mission out. I know the best way. And it's pretty, pretty simplistic in the way of how, how the gentleman goes about disabling it. Mm -hmm. But um, in, to add to what you're saying about 2001, a space odyssey, I myself haven't watched it for a good majority of my life. There's a lot of films that I know that in my early teens, going into my early twenties, I had no business looking at films like this because I was still up on like Van Damme movies, action flicks. Like I had no sense. I purchased this movie in 4k and right around the time where I got my 4k television. And when I'm telling you, I saw a movie that blew my mind. Stanley Kubrick took the idea of, of how glorious space can be and how glorious that, the this idea that the progression of man does involve artificial intelligence but it's all always going to be up to us that vision was made in the early in the early 70s uh, late 60s around that time and it's just uh, it's just it's a masterpiece mm -hmm. it really is and the like you described it like the way he makes space seem so beautiful i mean it is beautiful but to put that on screen you know is one thing and then he does that by putting uh, this like classical music behind it that makes it seem so grand and so spectacular, you know, in this vast universe. And it, it shows you also, again, the evolution of man, you know, from what we've created, this music, this beautiful music. And it contrasts that um, it, it in and out because it's doing a lot of that. There's not a whole lot of um, talking and things going on. There's a lot of space where it's just you're visually just watching this and you're visually trying to interpret things and capture what's going on so there's there's at times not a lot of talking going on and you are going to have to sit through this and be patient because i guarantee you 
after watching it completely and understanding what's going on at the end of this, like it's going to really make, it's going to move you. I think. Yeah. 2001, a space odyssey does require your full attention. It does. It's just not a simple popcorn flick. It actually requires you to pay attention. It's very dense to take in, especially if you're not uh, well-versed in the movie. Like I was, I, I just saw the movie and for the first five or 10 minutes, I was like, did this movie start or what's going on? Because it doesn't, give you an introduction it yeah. just just starts he's like all you see is what the horizon of earth for like a good five or ten minutes and then nothing ha- it's like it's like nothing happens right um, uh and i love the way it goes off the rails too because at the end of this movie like everything makes sense up until like the ending where everything just goes completely like uh abstract where it's like nothing really makes sense anymore but in reality, it does make sense. It's just when you're watching it in real time, you're trying to make sense of this, and it's very abstract. And it's abstract for a reason. I'm not. I'm not gonna um, spoil it for you guys and tell you why. But it's abstract for a reason. And I love the way it goes completely off the rails too. Yeah. Um, and it completely caught me off guard because I was not expecting that. And it like went totally into the subconscious all of a sudden, uh, <laughs> which is why again that it moved me. And it wasn't just that. You know, there was great acting and all that. It, there was, but this movie as a whole moved me as a person. Um, and it made me now not be so fearful of the eventual evolution or rise of AI. Well said, well said. I know what's coming up for your number four here. Yes. And I, I don't know if you do have this in particular, but your next movie that you have. Yeah. Why don't you uh, go ahead and... Let the people sitting in with us do know about this movie. Yeah, this movie, again, this is a movie I just saw this year. I've always heard about this movie. I've seen my dad watch the movie. I haven't seen the movie myself, though. And the score of it is also something that I knew was Schindler's List. Um, now, Schindler's List, uh, as I'm watching Schindler's List, I mean, I've seen a lot of documentaries about what, what happened in World War II, and we all kind of know... Uh, the Holocaust and what's gone on there. But the way that Spielberg took this movie and made it feel like you were there and, and it, it was like slowly, slow, slowly you as a character on, um, which is uh, Nielsen too. Uh, uh, yeah. Liam, ne- Liam, Liam Nielsen. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I was surprised by that cause I didn't even know he was in the film playing Oscar Schindler. Yeah. Yeah. And he's playing Oscar Schindler and he slowly realizes what he's doing. He doesn't really realize it as a character in the moment. He doesn't realize the lives he's saving. And I'm not going to go into the end of this, but in the end of this movie, it's like, damn, like, and it's all about him coming to realization of how gruesome and ugly it really was. And he, him just realizing it and him wanting to do so much more. And that brought me to my knees because it's like, you know, we, we sometimes don't realize it when we're, we're, what we're doing and, and, and how ugly things are that are going on, you know, and it just totally relatable, you know, totally relatable into the real world because I mean, this one, this really happened. Right. And, and two, it's just, it, you, you start to realize the value of life, you know, a value one life has. It's not just, you know, something we can just shrug at. It's a life and how precious life is. And this, that's what Schindler's List kind of did to me. It made me realize how precious a life is. Uh, that, that's 
how that movie moved me. Yeah. What about For, you when you watched it? I remember seeing it in history class. It was one of those staple movies that you'd have to watch, especially when the teacher's covering the period of uh, World War II in conjunction with the Holocaust. The A lot of people need to appreciate Steven Spielberg now because I don't think a lot of people understand that this guy comes out with Jaws and comes out with E.T. before he even hits 34 years old. This yeah. guy was on a tear. But not only that, but to take on the venture... For a director to end up going with a World War II flick, there's a lot of things that have to be done because he's he's going to end up doing Schindler's List and then he ends up doing Saving Private Ryan. So the idea is is that you need so many things. You need you need the the costuming to be on point. You need you need people that are actually there giving you input on like the sets that you're using. Or if you're actually on location, it's better to have people that are actually there or, you know, people, historians. Mm -hmm. There's a lot that goes into this. Steven Spielberg took that, ended up securing Best Picture for this movie. And I think that Spielberg took the best approach for this movie because in the, in the title poster of this movie, you see everything in black and white. But you see this little girl dressed in a, with a red coat. So in the movie, throughout a couple of periods of the of the movie, you'll see the color red isolated with that girl. And I don't know what it is, man. Like the, the film, the film itself is simply put, it's like if you ever needed a vehicle of a movie to get you into what it was like being being incarcerated like that during the holocaust and and eventually with the lives lost you know six million lives lost at that point i mean there's no other movie that does that mm -hmm. and um it does it in a it does it in a very humane way where it's not gory or anything yeah. but it, you know there's there's times where you know where the intention goes of what's going to be the end result for these people. Yeah, because in this movie, it, I mean, even though it, the war is going on, it's not talking so much about the war. It's really about this businessman, you know, who's taking on these employees and he's doing it for his benefit because it's cheap labor. But then that's what I'm saying. Like towards later, he starts to realize, no, I was actually helping in a way that I didn't even realize. Like I was helping save lives here. Um, but, and he was doing it as a business owner. And I think, I think it was, a just a different angle to take it and, uh, um, and to, for us to understand, uh, again, like what it was like for, for, uh, a Jewish person in Germany, you know, just trying to survive, you know? Um, so it, yeah, and that's every, the outlook it took it. Every single element of you, you hear the, these, these, like you get the rush that you, that you get when you see families hide within cupboards or find these various hiding spots to hide in when the SS officers would be knocking on doors. Yeah. A lot of it's, a lot of it was done well. I mean, for you to get the perspective, there's for you to, if you ever want to get the perspective of, of, uh, of world war two, uh, the Holocaust, the era of the Holocaust in conjunction with, uh, with a film that's to me is, it's a very important film to watch. Yeah. And I'm glad you put it on your list. Because it, it's it's beautifully done. I remember watching it for the, I believe it was the 
20th anniversary I took my mom to go watch it at the theater and it was like it was brand new to me I still cried up a storm during the last scene and my mom did too but it was one of those movies where um, that if you want to ground yourself knowing that you have it good here in real life now this is one of those films because it's as historically accurate as you kind of need to get to learn about uh, to to get a good gloss over of the Holocaust. Yeah, Schindler's List was it's a very important film for anyone to watch, and and for those that haven't, I encourage you guys to one hundred percent because it's it's a very it's a very it's a, it, it it moves you no matter who it, no matter what walk of life you have it, it will move you one hundred percent. Yes, I agree. Uh, so the next uh, one I got on the list is Godfather. And you could say the series really kind of one and two for me, but and for a lot of other people. But but Godfather 1 is probably my favorite of the three, but by a very thin margin because 2 is really close to that. Um, and I, I love Godfather 1 because um, it... it it first shows you, you know, this this family, right, who is a mob family. Already established. They're already established, you know, and it's a big family. Um, they have, you know, a lot of power. Um, they have a lot of influence. And um, and you have the son, Michael, who uh, who is sent off into uh, to be like, a, I don't know if he was a Marine or, or what part of it it was, but he was sent off uh, uh and he was supposed to be separate apart from, you know, the legal activities that they were into. Um, and that's the way that, uh, uh, that's the way that the, the main mob boss wanted it, Vito. So it takes you into this mob, uh, family. And I, I think the first scenes are just brilliant because it's a wedding. Everything's all happy. Everything's all lovely. Right. And then it takes you into this room with the mob boss, Vito Corleone, and there's a guy like trying to beg for his his help, and he goes, "You never come to me, you know. You now you now you come to me, like you know. Mm-hmm. Why is it you come to me now? You know now you can you disrespect, you know. But there's gonna be one day I'm gonna offer you an offer you you can't refuse. You know? <laughs> and I just think it, it, there's just so much about Godfather that you can just use any one of their lines into to life. You know, you can apply it to life. Uh, um, but I, I love the contrast between Vito Corleone. And Michael Corleone, because Vito was somebody who was young and he came into America with a dream, you know, and he wanted to make something of himself. And so he does. He gets involved into some illegal things, but you see his character still. His character in the as you would see in the in the setup of uh, Godfather 2, he. He comes from a just cause. Right. Everything. It's always a, it's always some sort of just reason that he's doing it. The motive is is a just pure reason, even though it might be a, a ugly thing that he does. But it's really for a just cause. Like maybe he might have assassinated a guy, but that was the guy that was like he was ab- abusing the 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 poor people in the community. He was really like bullying them, yeah. and he was just overpowering them. And, and he was a bad guy. So yeah, he killed the guy, but the guy was a bad guy. So. You know, that, that's kind of what I mean. So you have a contrast as, as the series plays out. You have a contrast between Vito Corleone, who's all about building. He's about building structure, family, power, and he, he does that. And then you start to see a slow decline as Michael comes in. Michael comes in as the, the, the muscle eventually. 
and yeah, he, he takes out all his enemies, but to the point where he's left alone, you know, and he's in, he even starts attacking his family or even murders his brother. So you see the eventual decline where, to contrary of Vito Corleone, you see Michael, you know, Corleone to his ultimate demise, which is the complete opposite uh, of his of his father. I think the best the best way to summarize that too is that um, you also have the volatile end, the volatile end of the family too with uh, with Sonny, and Sonny. Everyone knew, even um, the lawyer of the family, played by Robert Duvall, knew that hey, you cannot make. Sonny, the head of the family, because he's just a hothead. Yeah. And you wouldn't be able to make him a part of the family. So it was a good thing that you have Michael detached from the family in the beginning of the first movie, because then it shows that, hey, look, this guy comes from, there's nothing wrong with Michael. Michael's a a class act. So that way, if anything ever gets complicated, we're like, hey, Michael has no ties to to organized crime. He's 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 a war veteran. This is not a part of him. At one point, it was good to have him because he was able to clean house. He was he was able to like get it done, but uh, he went a little too far. I mean, I'm not gonna say a little too far. He went too far uh, to the point where you know he couldn't trust his brother. He felt like you know I'm gonna axe off my brother because you know he you can't ever come against the family. But yeah. at the end of it, what, what was the whole fight for the family when you killed your own brother? You know, so I just think there's a lot of relatable things to that and applying that to life. Um, another great mobster movie. I love mob movies. You know, uh, Goodfellas, you're talking about Casino. There's a lot of great movies. But Godfather is kind of like the foundation of that to me. Yeah. And I just think they, they delivered for it to come out when it did. I mean, that yeah. is right now. It's still fresh to me, in my opinion. It's it's always great to watch those two movies Back to back, I enjoy seeing the backstory of, of Vito Corleone played by Robert De Niro. To see his his come up uh, in the uh, in the city of New York. See how he was able to get everything uh, taken care of in the beginning. Godfather one and two have this unique record of being the only two, uh, the first movie and the sequel, to actually get Best Picture. So yeah. the f- it's. I'm I'm finding hard pressed for to find a movie that, uh, to find a series that will ever happen again like that. Yeah, yeah. Because at that time, I don't know uh, too many mob movies that really got that insight, you know. And I know the director didn't really have a whole lot of insight himself. He was kind of really just kind of going what I don't know where he drew up these ideas about it. But yeah, in the but, end, it ends up being like you know one of the biggest ones yeah. out there. In from what I researched on the Godfather series, I know that Paramount Pictures was really skeptical on on the on giving this movie a big budget. So you kind of see that in the beginning of the first Godfather, but by the time the second one rolls around, the God the first Godfather ended up being this hit where it's like, hey, look, for the money we spent, to the money we made at the box office, and you know, with uh, with uh, sales and rent rental or or whatever we've we made a ton of money back let's push a lot for the sequel so then it goes without saying that there's a big contrast where it looks like hey look they spent a lot of money on this second one yeah versus what they did on the first one the first one definitely as great as it was 
it wasn't supposed to be that great. Right. And it just ended up being such a phenomenal film. Yeah, it did. Where it goes into the second one and it just knocks it out of the park again. And you're looking at one of the best sequels ever made. I mean, you're having like the actual like godfathers of this. Like you have Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, the guy that plays Vito Corleone, I forget his name, Duvall. Oh, you're talking well. about um, the gentleman that played... Uh, Vito. Yeah, he's know. he's in um, A Streetcar Named Desire, uh, Desire, Marlon Brando. There you go. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, and 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 then I understand that Duval was supposed to be in in, in three as like the main, um, uh, the the main guy that was supposed to go against Michael Corleone, but it didn't happen. There was some mix up and all that. So three could have been, it could have been a great movie as well. It could have been a nice end game finish had Duval decided to continue or follow through with that that role he was supposed to go in, and being like the bad guy. Um, and that would have been an awesome twist, I think, to everything. But it didn't work out, fortunately. But we do have one and two that's still, yeah. in my opinion, really great. I re- I can't count three into... I, it just goes with me to say that like I really think it's The Godfather Part 3 was one of those last-minute cash grabs. You yeah. see the gap between... You see a big gap. The, between. the gap between them making The, the Godfather 2 and 3. Yeah. So long. Yeah. And... The longer it goes, you end up teetering into the territory of, of the kingdom of the crystal skull. Like we, uh-huh. like there's just this big gap of Indiana Jones not playing these characters, and so like with it in the Godfather, it's like, well, Michael isn't young anymore. Now he's just a seasoned just Don, and it's just like, yeah, now <laughs> it's just, just Al crazy Al Pacino fresh yeah. off a of heat. <laughs> As crazy as he can be, right. I'm glad that you put this movie, these uh, list, the first two movies on your list. I encourage anyone that hasn't seen The Godfather to see him. I, as a little kid, I used to think of, of Godfather as like this horror flick because all I used to see was this big dude and a cat. As for mm. the main draw in the picture, I was like, yeah. what does this dude do? What's a Godfather about? And little did I know that it was actually a, a book uh, written by Mario Puso that he ended up uh, ended up being this fantastic series of mom movies yeah so I'm, I'm all for it definitely definitely yeah definitely the the, the godfather of all mafia movies for sure uh i, I so, mentioned i mentioned the lot the next movie that you're going to bring up you did in in the uh in jonathan ford segment whereas i mentioned that adjusted for inflation this film is still one of the highest grossing movies of all time especially for when it came out in the 1930s, I believe. 1930s, 1940s. Somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, this movie, Casablanca, is one I don't know if a lot of people our age have watched yet. You know, it's it's definitely considered one of the best movies of all time, and rightfully so. Um, so I, I made a point to sit down, watch it all the way through to see whatever, what, um, you know, people are, are talking about. So um, I will admit, at first, it's kind of hard to, to stay... Um, uh, attentive to this movie because uh, attentive to this movie because there's a lot going on. There's a lot of characters you're seeing. You know, it's a, it's a traveling place. Like, you know, people go, are going to the city because they're traveling out. Yeah. Uh, so it's really kind of a passing through place. So there's a lot of characters, a lot of different. Uh, there's a lot of diverse people that are traveling through here. So there's a lot of characters that you're seeing moving around. But in the midst of that, you have the main character who owns a, uh, who owns like a lounge there, like a restaurant, and he's running the show. And he's the guy that's said to, 
really be very stern. You know, he don't have time for, you know, to chit chat and he's just running a business and he's all about his business and, you know, he'll make some deals here and there, but he's really about his business. It's about his restaurant. So anyways, the guy's kind of like a, he's kind of more to himself or whatever. And then the movie starts to take a turn because there's a couple that come into the restaurant and the piano player who's playing the music, he turns and he recognizes them or whatever. Anyways, they come and they sit down and, um, you know, the waiter or whoever comes by to them mentions who owns the restaurant. And she goes, is it so-and-so? I forget his name right now. And they go, yeah, it's, it's so-and-so. And she happens to know the owner of the restaurant. And then you start to go into why, like, how does she know who this guy is, right? And they leave or whatever and the owner of the restaurant finds out that that she uh that she like had lunch there or whatever and he just he he just falls apart the guy that was so like he had it together he was running a business you know it was all you know uh it was all just very structured he now is like he's now fallen apart like he's all over the place he's a mess now and why is he a mess is because he fell in love with that girl once upon a time in Paris. So he went to Paris one time. He meets this girl out there. They're, they, they hit it off. They, they, they make love and whatever. And he remembers it almost like a dream. Like, but it really did happen. And he meets her and they, it shows uh, flashes of them when they were happy and all this stuff. And then um, when they were supposed to like, um, when they were supposed to, I don't know, get married or whatever, she just disappears. She just vanishes. And so that's where that famous line goes, where like, in all the gym joints and all the, in the world, she had to come crashing into mine. We'll always have Paris. Right. And so it, it just, it's a, that's when it very, it gets very interesting because you start to want to know why is it, like what happened? Why did she just leave? Why is she now with this other guy? Uh, what's going on? And this movie is really about, uh, the importance of because there's a war going on and instead of the love that they have between the two they both realize that it's it's better for the country because who she's with is a very important person for america and he's like a leader and all this stuff like he's leading the front against this war or whatever and so they realize if she breaks it off with that guy that that's going to tear that guy down and they both set aside their love for the better of the country. Wow. And so that movie was very moving in the end where you, you find they have to deal with this ordeal of what do they do about that love that they had? Because it was a genuine love. They still had the feelings. They still had the chemistry. It was fresh. Like at any moment, he yeah. could have made a move and like stole her. But they both had to set that aside for what was better for the country which I think was, it's just a moving message, you know, to just show how one can do that. And he was fine. You know, he was happy still knowing that, knowing that everything was going to work out and it was going to be fine. He said he would, he had closure. She had closure like they knew. And that's why he always says, we'll always have Paris because we'll always have that memory, that happy time. We'll always have that moment. It's always better of, to have loved and to have lost than yeah. to have never loved at all. And it's important to also know this is the same movie where it goes like, here's looking at you, kid. Like, yeah. uh, And so to understand the meaning of that, it, it's it's cool now to understand that reference when I hear that. I understand exactly like where that's coming from, what that means. 
So it's a movie I definitely recommend. Like you guys got to see that movie for sure. It's funny that you mentioned that. So do you know that plane scene at the end? So they play with your depth perception with that plane scene. So that plane is actually a lot closer than you think. And the, the, the funny thing is, is that the people that are actually looking like they're setting up the plane. Yeah. Those are actually little people. So they're little. So wow. they they play with your they play with your uh, with, with your depth perception because that plane has to look a lot larger. So it's a lot closer than you think. It's like when um, it's like when you see. Um, it's like when you see the uh, the Tie Fighters or the X Wings in the Star Wars movies. Those yeah, things yeah. look like full ships, but right. no. Yeah, but like if you toys. see the behind the scene, they look like small things. That's crazy. Small dude. things played up in, on a big view up close and personal. Same thing with that little plant, that plane in Casablanca. That's crazy. Yeah. So yeah. it's a little fun fact that I got for that. I haven't seen the next two that you have listed, including Casablanca. Mm-hmm. I know that I've been, I have slack in my Mac when it comes to that one. And the next one that you're about to mention. Yeah. And you know what I have to say too, like yeah. when you first watch, try to watch these movies, there's a lot going on. And I advise, please be patient when watching this. Try to sit through it because I, 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 I know that feeling. Cause when I was trying to watch these two movies at first, I was like, uh, like it could have lost me. Had I not been patient and sat through it, it could have lost me. And I would have missed out on two great films had I done that. So I definitely recommend like when you first see it, there's going to be a lot going on, but just sit through it and just even rewind it a little bit. If you have to like, just make sure you get through it and, and uh, it will be worth it. The last one I got is citizen Kane. Big, big, big movie. Um, it's always on the, it's always on the top 10 list. It's always yeah. nearing up as either the one or the third best movie of all time. It's always yes. like, it always fights with Vertigo by Alfred Hitchcock. Yes, and that that's one I got to see, actually, Vertigo. I got to watch that one. I haven't watched that one yet. Um, Citizen Kane is, uh, it's a, how can I, how can I say this? It's a, it's about a movie, it's about a man who's, um, who's well-known in his community, well-known actually in the world, a very prominent man who uh, runs a, a, a successful, uh, he's, he's a news mogul. He runs a successful news business. He has an inheritance so that's how he's able to do that. He becomes into he goes into politics. Uh, then he becomes like a great collector. And, and I always, um, you know, I relate to my collecting to, to his. Except his is on a on a grand scale. Where so he's this is your like, citizen Zay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> my my collection's very very minimal compared to this guy's, but. He's collecting like animals, exotic animals from all over the world, all these like museum pieces and all this stuff. Anyways, it, it, it starts off by um, talking about his life really quick. So you get a snapshot of his life, but you're seeing it from the outside looking in. And all you know from the beginning is that this is a successful man. He's somehow he's important. We don't really know why, but he's important. He's had a lot of scandals in his life. We get a, we get a headline view of his life. And then the movie starts to slow you take, slowly take you in into exactly the struggles throughout his life. So you get to see snapshots of his life as he was going through it and why he became so big and why he became so important. And so you start to understand he was a young guy or a young kid or whatever who was, um, who was sent off by his parents. Um, they, they made a trust for him and they let a Wall Street guy take him on and send him to like New York. 
and they wanted to do that to make his life better. So they, they were hoping that he would get a great education out there in New York, that he would become successful with this trust and this and that. And the parents got some money out of that too. So anyways, they send him off and uh, he does become successful. You know, the Wall Street guy takes care of him. He runs his trust or whatever. And um, the Wall Street guy is constantly trying to advise them, like, don't do this, you know, just do this, like try to save your money. But he ends up being a guy that wants to spend his money. He wants to use his money. And he gets, he owns a newspaper company, a very small newspaper company, but he's really passionate about it. He goes, you know what? I actually want to get my hands wet here. I want to actually try to take on this news company and try to deliver real solid news for the people. And the Wall Street guy's like, don't do that. Don't do that. Like, why are you doing that? You were going to waste so much money doing that. Just save your money. And he goes, no, I'm going to do this. So he constantly puts out news articles about that Wall Streeter and how crooked he is because it's the truth, but the guys, so there's always like, they're always mad at each other. And, um, but he, he, he does this. And then eventually, uh, he marries off, uh, the president's uh, daughter or something like that, something really big. And, uh, it shows you how it starts off. Like it starts off nice and sweet and everything. It does this in five minutes, like in almost three to four minutes, you get a snapshot of their whole like span of being together. And you see the slow decline of, how like all of a sudden the feelings like they're sitting further and further away from the table. You know, they're not talking as much. They're not engaged as much. Now he's looking at a newspaper. He's not looking at her in her eyes anymore. And so um, you start to slowly see why he broke it off with that girl. And you start to see like the reasons why the scandal happened. And it shows it from his point of view. And you start to understand like, oh, that's what happened. That's why, you know. So you start to get more of a glimpse and an understanding of his life. Anyways, it shows towards the end, he, he passes, he dies, and he utters these last words, and it's, he says, Rosebud, and they're all trying to guess, the guys who are writing his um, big, you know, uh, newspaper headline about, like, you know, this big guy, he died, they're trying to understand, they're trying to get deeper, and they're trying to understand, why did he say Rosebud? You know, for a guy who was everywhere, he was known for everything, why did he say Rosebud? What was it about that? And so you're throughout the whole movie, you're trying to understand where did he say, why does he say Rosebud? And I'm not going to spoil that for you. I'll let you find that out. But in the end, you know, it comes, it's, it, it turns out that it's a piece, it's only a piece of the puzzle to who he is. And you understand exactly why he said Rosebud. And the movie's all about would he had turned out this way if his parents didn't send him off? Would he have been happier being that kid who was playing uh, or in that life where he where he came from, from that small town? Would he have been happier not being sent off as his trust fund baby? Because in the end, he wasn't happy. He had it all. He had everything. And yet he was alone and, and old and heartbroken. And he and he was he was sad. And so he was he was uh, the movie is basically about, well, you know, would he have been happier, better off, maybe even how do you just stayed with his parents in the small town rather than being sent off, you know? So that's the whole puzzle of the movie. I know there's a lot of people that could relate to that kind of situation where, I mean, I bust my ass. I, I do a lot to just try to, I try to put out a lot of content and I try to do a lot of things, but a sacrifice uh, at the sacrifice of a lot of things. And like many people, I mean, you can, definitely relate to a person like that where you want to have it all, but at what cost? Yeah. So I can 
for these next two movies that you mentioned, Casablanca and Citizen Kane, though I've seen so many references to these two movies, so many Easter eggs to, I remember the Simpsons had this big, you know how like in the background of Citizen yeah. Kane, all you see is Kane yeah, yeah. in the back while he's doing his little, his little, uh, his little, like, I think he was doing like a press, uh, like a press conference or something. Sideshow Bob was running for mayor of Springfield and all you see is Bob in the back of that while he's doing it. Yeah. Same type right. of microphone, the OG microphone with the metal, yeah. uh, with the cylinder across with the wires wrapped around. So iconic. Cool yeah. stuff. I can, um, tons of time where even in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles where Raphael, um, was it? Yes. Yeah, uh, Raphael, oh no, Donnie and Ra, Donnie and Raph are walking away, and then one of them utters out uh, Humphrey Bogart say, "He's to looking at you, kid," because he was dressed in the, in the uh, the pea oh, yeah, coat and the hat. Right, yeah, right. So I, I gotta look. I gotta watch those two movies because these, these other ones that you mentioned, I'm I'm thankful for. At least watch all three out of the five that you've listed off. So before I croak, I gotta watch those next two that you mentioned. Powerful stuff, dude. Powerful movies for sure. Powerful movies, man. What you got, Mark? I know you got something cooking on your list, dude. Yeah. I didn't share these with you. No. I didn't share them with you or John. And uh, there's a lot of reasons why I feel that my list is... If you were going to be like... If if my list was like a cheese, it's like a nice sharp cheddar. It's nothing like a a brie or like a... Like a... uh, what else? A fancy cheese. It's not like a, uh, a Munster cheese. This isn't, I have a sharp cheddar regular list. It's nothing. I, I, I kept a general. I honestly kept a general just because I wanted, I can talk volumes about all these movies and they honestly have impacted my life and, in, in watching them. And it's kind of cool that, it's kind of cool to actually get into to five movies that I can describe to people and be like, yep, yeah, this is why you need to watch it. So without any further ado, I want to start off with my five movies culminating and ending. This is the Godfather three <laughs> wow. of these, of these uh, <laughs> movies at the end to yeah. culminate to 15 movies you must see before you die. I'm glad to have had Jonathan Ford give his five movies. Isaiah, thank you for your five. Um, we'll start with mine. I watched this, rewatched this movie last night. This is a movie that is brought to us by the good people over in uh, the People's Republic of China. It's called The Killer. Uh, it's starring Chow Yun Fat and Danny Lee. But the most important piece to all this is the person who directed it. So, one of my favorite directors of all time, simply because I'm an action movie, I crave it. I love these action movies. I love the characters that are beyond life because sometimes we relate to them because we want to be extraordinary in ordinary situations. John Woo is the director of this movie and I like the killer because of the story is beyond the it's beyond the frame of an action movie. It, there's there's elements of it where it can be within it but if I t- I'm going to tell you the story and it is, it shouldn't be an action flick. There's this hit man that had to do a contract hit 
at a lounge. The assassin, um, the assassin's name is uh, Jeffrey. And Jeffrey ended up getting his target. He ended up killing his mark at the, at the, at the lounge, but at one expense. He shot the last bullet at one of his enemies directly in, directly across the eyes of the lounge singer. This woman had a beautiful voice and sang a beautiful song. So the muzzle flash of that of the gun instantly blinded her. Wow, what the heck? So it instantly blinds her and now her blinded this is where the hitman has the connection of okay, now I want to help this girl get her surgery and that way I can be just done with all this because I need to help her out now. So this killer who was once doing it for money now has a different agenda. Damn. But he ends up getting in a little bit of a trouble because he ends up later on within the film, he ends up killing a target and ends up getting spotted and identified. And everyone knows within the hitman, with any any hitman, you can't be identified. Once you're that, your superiors are going to have to take care of you. So the issue is now is that he needs to come up with money to pay for her surgery. While there is a, there's a, a detective on the hunt for him while he's investigating her case. And now this ties up into this one point where I I don't want to spoil any storylines, but it, it culminates in this one scene where all sides meet the special agent, the hitman, the lounge singer, and the people that are trying to kill Jeffrey, the killer. I'm describing this film to you and it's, (laughs) and it's beyond an action flick. Yeah, Yeah. But this is centered within a beautifully made action flick. I think Hard Boiled and this movie, The Killer, mm-hmm. John Woo's one of John Woo's best flicks. Because once he came to America, you have to change a lot of things up. I think one of his best movies is Face Off with John Travolta and Nicolas Cage. But this movie, I, I prefer it because it's John Woo in his... I want to say this is where John Woo had to, this is early start, no production, no budget. This isn't so stylized as, as his other movies are like face off, super stylized. Uh, the one thing I think about face off is it's Nicholas Cage doing a three sixty in a long ass coat. And you just see the, you hear the rush of the, of the, the wind that his coat makes the, the drawing of his guns. And then you see this overhead shot of the whole coat just swooshing around John Woo didn't need that in the killer like he just needed to make sure that anytime someone shot something he shot like 18 bullets out of one gun no one reloads sparks everywhere everyone's dying I love that it's like there's doves everywhere like this is just John Woo in his infancy Mm -hmm. and I feel that though it's not like a a a fantastically drawn out movie like how the godfather is or any of that i feel that if everyone had their first taste at a a beautiful action flick that centered around a story that you're like whoa this is about 
this footage is from this type of story, that's incredible. I, I I look at the killer and I encourage people to watch the flick because it's just it's beautifully done and it is ge- it is genuinely an action flick that people need to to watch because you'll you'll probably watch the flick and you're like wow that's one of the greatest action flicks I've ever seen in my life just because of how cool the story and how unique it is. The girl gets blinded by the muzzle flash of his shot like that's so crazy to me. As soon as I saw that, I was just mesmerized. <laughs> <laughs> the um, and you'll see a lot of the traits that John Woo ended up doing for movies like Broken Arrow, Hard Target, Wind Talkers, um, the one I mentioned, Face Off. This is the same director, and you'll see a lot of those, a lot of those traits in the early stages of this of uh, of the killer. You'll definitely enjoy watching it. Yeah, it's a movie I have to watch for sure. A lot of John Woo's movies I actually do have to go back and and. And watch a lot of them I haven't watched. So yeah. that that movie and Hard Target to me, the one with Jean Claude Van Damme, like Van Damme and John Woo meeting up, like at that point in 1993. There's no like. <laughs> well, I remember you took on the name Hard Target for your user handle. For yeah, a little that's bit. yeah, that's been my user for handle for a long time for yeah. on the PlayStation and, uh, dude, the the movies. Even for Hard Target, like, talk about stylized action. Jean-Claude Van Damme kicks a gas can to a guy. And in the middle of his kick, like, while that thing's in midair, he lines up his shot of a shotgun, shoots the (laughs) gas can, and it immediately causes, like, this flamethrowing reaction to this guy to get blasted out. That's classic John Woo, bro. Yes. And, like, even with Face Off, I I briefly Mm -hmm. touched on a Face Off. Both of them have replaced their own face with the the person of the other. John, right. John Travolta's character with Nicolas Cage and vice right. versa. The third act starts off with both of them rotating, shooting themselves, like, well, targeting themselves, but they're facing a mirror. Basically showing, oh, this is the person <laughs> I'm killing all across the other side. Like, yeah, yeah. just beautifully done. Yeah. John Woo's exactly like that. Yeah. I want to go into the, uh, very quickly into number four. Okay. Um, this is 2000's Best Picture. And Russell Crowe ended up taking Best Actor for this as well. Okay, I think um, I know you're going with Gladiator. This. Yeah, directed by Ridley Scott. Great movie. Great, great. You great can't, movie. you can't find, you can't find a better movie that 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 shows the story of someone overcoming insurmountable odds. Also, Walking Phoenix in it too. It's another. I think Walking Phoenix got snubbed. For whatever nomination, I don't know whether he got nominated for Best Supporting Actor in this, but his role as Commodus, even when I watched this at 12 years old in the theater, I was like, dude, this fool is lame. I hate this guy. Commodus is whack. I knew if 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 his role played uh, played to my heartstrings that much, then that means he was doing a damn good job. Russell Crowe does a phenomenal job in this film. Commodus does a great, uh, Joaquin Phoenix does a great role in this as well as the Emperor Commodus. Can you do the line where he's like, this, I am uh, Gluteus Maximus X. Oh, okay. It was like, uh, <laughs> what is your name? He's like, how dare you turn your back to me? You will take off your helmet and tell me your name. He was all, my name is Dak Maximus Decimus Meridius. General of the Felix Legion. General of the Felix Legion. Father to and a murdered son. He's all, <laughs> what, the true, he's like, oh yeah. He's like, loyal servant to the one and true. Emperor Marcus Aurelius, husband to a murdered wife, 
Father Who Tim introduces Swan, themselves like that? And I'll have my vengeance in this life or the next. So it was like, hey, if I don't do it now, dude, like I'm going to do it later. Who, I got you. Who has their own Who has that ready? introduction just ready to go? <laughs> just wanted to let you know. It's like, I was like, I'm the loyal servant to the one and true Emperor Marcus Aurelius. I love oh, the fact man. that they were just like, this guy, Marcus Aurelius, he was like, there's this one, there's this one time in the film where it's all like, um, Maximus is about to go into the Colosseum mm-hmm. and he's holding his sword. So, but the, the beauty about this scene is that he's at an incline to the person that he's talking to. Mm-hmm. And Proximo is the guy that gets him at the point where he basically put, he, he was sent to die. Mm-hmm. He ends up thwarting the people that sent him uh, to die he took care of that but then he ends up getting enslaved by this gentleman proximo proximo is at the lower level and uh maximus is shot at the higher incline um which is the best part about that is that at the roman coliseum this is this is almost true to life of how the roman coliseum is made so then he's all like this is not marcus aurelius's vision this is not it and he's pointing to the roman coliseum because he never wanted the gladiator games or anything and proximo is just like Marcus Aurelius is dead, Maximus. It's all like, the thing is, is that he's trying to resurrect this broken idea right, that Marcus idea. Aurelius wanted to bring back. Yeah. It's a lot to take in for some people because it involves a lot of politics. Yeah. Um, a lot of, there's, I'd say the action to political banner ratio is, it's like a 70-30. Mm-hmm. So it's a lot to take in because... I'm not going to spoil it for people who haven't watched it, but politics plays directly into the end result of Gladiator. And to me, this movie is a great step into people watching historical epics. This will, this is not as generalized as Troy. I think Troy with Brad Pitt and Eric Bana and all those gentlemen, I think that that is just a very entry level historical piece <laughs> As historical as it could be, mm-hmm. but Gladiator, though it's still not historically accurate sometimes, it's definitely something that you need to watch to just be like truly appreciate great filmmaking, man. You're the opening battle, uh, Battle Germania, to to the Gladiator fights and to the, yeah, it's the a true war of Gladiator it, battles. Yeah, it takes you into what it was like in the Colosseum, like at that time, and. and uh, a movie that does that, I think, is is going to be great. That can portray it really well. And they did. And they showed kind of the glory of Rome, in a way, through this character. And uh, and even just the idea, like how he keeps, you know, fixated on that idea. Like, Rome, the, the true, like, you know, emperor. And so, I, I just, and that's, what in a way, I feel like Rome, There in reality, there was, like, this idea uh, that... Um, that that everybody Rome was trying to live by. Everybody's trying to live by this like high standard of, uh, uh, of way of living. Um, so, yeah, I I think in that way it, it has some truth to that. You know, it's uh, it's a movie that I probably watch two or three times a year. I'll I'll pop it in as much. I'll pop. I just watched it last like three days ago, yeah. just because I knew that I was doing this top five, and I was like, okay, I want to. And, I want to get I want to get my palate wet for this and just like 
you know how like you 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 salivate before a great meal. Yeah, yeah. I'll do the same thing for good movies. You know, I'll just be ready. I'm like, okay, I'm good. I'm I'm ready to watch rewatch the Dark Knight. I'm ready to rewatch, um, the Indiana Jones flicks. Some like this with Gladiator, as long as it is, it's probably like two hours and forty five minutes, two hours thirty. It goes like that. Good yeah. films will go like at the snap of a finger. It it also challenges mankind as far as what is our idea of entertainment, you know, and to what point is entertainment just ugly for the soul, you know, and it it kind of reveals or exploits that, you know, us having, um, you know, these slaves fight, you know, like for our entertainment, it just kind of shows you like a mirror to that. And or how the higher ups ups will use it as a, as a disguise for the true intentions of what they wanted to do. And that's, The best part about that is that that directly plays into the political issues yes. of using some mass events like the Gladiator Games to distract the people right. from the true issues that are going on and the true issues at hand. So a and lot we see of it today lot of that. too. We we the totally relatable today. We have massive stadiums, you know, today's coliseums, right? We have them all over, you know, the country and mass a mass amount of people go to these places or used to go to these places pre-COVID, you know, and we would, you know, entertain ourselves. Football being like the main, I guess, gladiator sport in today's world. So in some sense it does, yeah, relates to us today even, you know. This, the next flick that I have for us is a movie. I don't know if you watched or not, but I know um, if I mention it, you probably have seen it or not, but it's two came out in 2004. And I remember that I was recommended this movie by one of my English teachers in, I want to say, 10th grade. I watched it. And this movie, for quite a long time, sat at the top of my favorite movie of all time. City of God. Yes, I have seen that one. City of God was, is just simply done. It's simply a good story. It is it is Shakespearean almost. Of the the, the sto- how the storylines intersect and interweave and and the story about this guy named Rocket just trying to 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 make it out in this world of of Rio de Janeiro, out of the out of the hood and into like good life where he intermingles with 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 drug lords and and people that own the slum and and, and pimps. And just people, the people he meets along the way to either triumph over or to see end up perishing by being devoured by the city of Rio de Janeiro. City of God is a very incredible flick. It's beautifully done. It's 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 a, it's a story that, uh, you know, I can relate to because at the time, you know, Rocket is kind of our age. And the film's uh, made in Brazil. It's all done. In, uh, it's all in Portuguese. Mm-hmm. But damn, dude, I I probably have seen it 30, 25, 30 times. The movie is simply amazing. Like I'm 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 lost for words sometimes because I don't want to explain it to people a lot because I, I these last few other movies I mean we can talk about Gladiator but a lot of people have seen Gladiator mm-hmm. but I still recommend it to people with City of God I don't want to go much into the story because it, it 
I kind of like seeing the pro that, that process with people. Like I wish I had, I, I explained this to a lot of people, but I, w I really wish I had the gift of seeing something for the first time again. You know, I wish I had that experience over and over again with certain things. Like, you know, like the first time you ever, um, like watch a good film. Like if I could see the dark Knight or the dark Knight rises again for the first time and just have it completely wiped out of my memory, I'd do it again and again and again and again, just because of, of how good the movie is. Same thing with city of God. It's like you, you still watch it plenty of times and it's, it's, it's still new to you because it's so damn good, dude. When, when was the first time you ended up watching it? Yeah, so I watched it geez, oh, probably a decade ago. So it's been a while since I've seen it. Um, but I remember watching it. Um, and like you said, takes place like in Rio de, de Janeiro. And it's in the slums. And uh, uh, a kid trying to overcome, the, the like you said, the drug lords and things like that. The ugliness of what's going on. Um, and I remember a lot of those early scenes. And I feel like... Um, and then, oh yeah, it was also in Portuguese. And so you're reading it through, um, but I forget where it continues on from the early scenes. I forget like kind of the plot and where it went. So, so, uh, it, the Someone movie follows a gentleman, dies, a no? gentleman by the name of rocket and his friends, uh, his friend Benny and his, uh, the girl that he's actually like kind of liked. Yeah. But he also meets these guys that end up doing a lot of things like holding up, holding up uh, hotel rooms, uh, selling drugs. Yeah, um, he gets involved with that, right? Loosely. Yeah. He starts, he starts uh, getting involved with the drugs, but then slowly and surely after something tragic happens, he has to change his outlook on life and changes a lot of things with that. And he does his best to become a, a reporter he wants to be a reporter and a photographer. So he is looking for his experience into the, into the, uh, the world that he used to be a part of, like used to see all the time. He wants to make sure to expose that. So that's his main mission at that point. But he has a lot of people to deal with along the way. Yeah. To get to there. Yeah. So without yeah. spoiling it, uh, on, on many fronts, I encourage a lot of people to watch. I encourage people to watch city of God. Because it, even if you don't, even if you, you can't relate to any of these characters, there's still this, you'll still admit at the end of it, like, wow, that was a moving film. To me, City of God, a moving film from start to finish. It's, the, it, it was like the movie Kids. This is a more uh, tame version of kids, but this is the uh, a great international iteration of of, of a young and uh, of a young man trying to overcome the odds of the inner city. Simply put, but it's it's beautifully done. I just I can just I just relive all the scenes in my mind right now. It's just it's tra tra There's a lot of tragedy and. There's just, when I tell people it's Shakespearean, it, it is that well done of a flick. It's, you're going to look at plenty of top tens of greatest films all the, uh, of all time. You're going to see 
the you're gonna see Alfred Hitchcock at the top there. You're gonna see um, Robert De Palma with his Godfather flicks. But then you're gonna look at this unknown, um, this unknown, uh, at, this unknown director's name. But you're gonna be like, oh, that's the dude that directed City of God. Like City of God's gonna be on those top tens, top tens, top twenties, depends or whatever. But it's always gonna be there because of how freaking good it is. You guys gotta watch it. I'm telling you now. Um, so to go on to this next, this next series, um, this, this next series definitely played a, a big part of my life in the, uh, in the mid 2010s. I barely started getting to this one in the mid 2010s. Um, a lot of people were asking me back, back before then, you haven't seen these, you haven't seen these movies. I'm like, no, I haven't. I just, they never, they never spoke to me, but Little by little, I ended up watching all three of them. And Back to the Future is at this number two spot. And I think it all goes without saying, Robert Zemeckis made one big story into three separate movies. All of them intertwine beautifully, beautifully, because the first one ends, and after the first Back to the Future which involves this young teenager named Marty and his adventures that he has with a professor that he befriended named Doc Brown. And Doc Brown ends up creating this time machine and a lot of hijinks ensues, even to the point where Marty has to meet his family back in 1955 from the point where they start the movie in 1985. I really like from, from the first movie they didn't think that they were going to make a second one. So the second part of that, the, the end of the first movie where Doc Brown sways people to, oh, we have to do something about your kids, Marty. And we have to do something about your kids. Zemeckis was like, hey, we just ended at that and we're good. It's going to be one of those just like, oh, they could have made a sequel, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. They saw the success of the box office and Back to the Future made a ton of money. So they saw that and they was like, okay, yeah, we're making number two. So they never teased that. They never teased the to be continued till after they released the VHS. So in the theater, you never, you just see the first movie end. But after the VHS released, you see to be continued. So then you actually know, oh crap, there's a Back to the Future 2 coming out. So the second one comes in and then it leaves you on this Empire Strikes Back-esque cliffhanger where it has to be resolved, not in the future, not in the past, but at the specific point in the Old West, where everything, where everything culminates. And you figure like, wow, how would it all just culminate in the Old West? The best part about the three movies is that you have storylines that's from the first flick, start kind of tie up in the second, but open up again for the third and they all close up successfully. Successfully done at the end of the third flick. And a lot of people have opinions about all three movies. But I, I personally tell people. I'm like look. Where are you going to find three great films. Back to back to back. Same kind of roughly the same cast. Because they, they recasted a couple people. But still. You still have Christopher Lloyd and Michael J. Fox. Handling it. Minus a couple of other key characters, but luckily the main story is still beautifully done. It takes three movies to to make 
a beautiful story of of Marty McFly and Doc Brown. And originally, Robert Zemeckis and the writer, uh, both the writers and the director, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, the other writer, they had Back to the Future. So they so they get, they have Back to the Future too. But then Spielberg looks at it and he's like, as a consultant executive producer, and he says, no, bro, like, you got to make this two flicks. This is too much for... They wanted... To, so imagine Back to the Future 2 and 3 done as one film. That would have been two and a half to three hours long. Right. Especially chopped up. They lost, a lot of scenes would have been sacrificed. So for the people that haven't watched these flicks, I'm telling you right now, you start with the first one and immediately go to the second one and immediately go to the third one. This, this film... These series of films will have always have this have always had this this beautiful ability to be sewn so close to each other that you can immediately watch the first and then the second and then the second just picks up right where the first one left off or and then the second one left off right after where the th- uh, the third one picks up right after where the second one left off. Not like a lot of sequels where it's like, oh, five years have passed. And then like they have to like recoup a bunch of, oh, what happened to her? Like what happened to the girl who couldn't make it in this film? Like they'll have some out for her. Back to the Future picks up all three of those films in quick succession. I I, I don't know what more to say about it. I just, I feel that if there's something you'd like to to do, something you'd like to say to sway the audience on it. I just think... uh there's just so much to it. I mean, it being a time traveling movie, uh, to, to even like try to do that and present it. Um, I think that's difficult for people to put money behind it sometimes. And, you know, uh, it's kind of a risk, but it paid off big time uh, for them to do that. Um, also too, uh, you know, Michael J. Fox, phenomenal man, phenomenal in his role. Uh, and, um, the guy that plays doc, Awesome. Oh, yeah. Christopher awesome. Lloyd. Christopher Lloyd, yeah. Um, those two did incredible. Um, and I, what more can you really say? I mean, the, there's so much to this to these films. I um, want to say, too, that, and, and I don't think Back to the Future gets enough credit for this. Mm-hmm. Even with uh, for the movie itself and for the people writing it. But they're in the sequel, in number two, without spoiling anything. Time travel is involved directly with the second one where they have to film pieces of the second one that directly intersect with the plot of the first movie. How, like, for them to do it flawlessly, it's, I'm impressed. I'm still impressed by how well that was done because at one point you see that in the, at one point during this time, because of how time travel works and how the timelines work, there's three Martys running around in Back to the Future 2. And I mean that by there's points in times where it's like there's three Martys, three Marty McFlys running around in three different time periods. And they all are able to, to do their own thing successfully. It's impressive. It's impressive. And you know the scene that I'm talking about. Yeah. But it's like, how do you think of that? How do you say like, okay, guys, this is going to be really tough to do, but, and they freaking did it and they knocked it out of the park. Yeah. So I encourage anyone that hasn't seen that Back to the Future, uh, I I really don't want to count them as three movies. This is just one big story, 
done in done in about six hours total time. I encourage you guys to watch them. Um, and I really want to get to this last one as the last movie that I encourage people to watch. I haven't watched it. A lot of people now are into the Christopher Nolan thing. They know that he makes a movie about every two or three years. I've religiously watched every film that he's done besides Memento. And there's this other movie with him and that he directed with uh, Al Pacino and Robin Williams that I have to watch too. But this one brought me into the world and the mentality of like how Christopher Nolan makes a flick. It involved a lot of cool people that I uh, followed initially, but the prestige. Now the prestige is some is a is a masterpiece of just good general filmmaking. It is it involves two magicians in the 1800s in in England, played wonderfully by Hugh Jackman and Christian Bale. Christian Bale. To me, from 2000 to 2010, you can't find a better actor. There's no one that had his his track record from that. You start off with American Psycho, and then you go off to him doing The Prestige, him doing uh, The Dark Knight, Batman Begins. He was on a hot streak. The guy was just... And then Reign of Fire, too, with him and Matthew McConaughey. 2000 to 2010, it was between Gerard Butler and Christian Bale. Like, no one, no one had roles on a success like them. So you have the, those, and then you have Hugh Jackman, both playing rival magicians, and though they were once partners, but something happens to where they're no longer partners. And this is where it starts getting really, really like eerie and twisted to where it's like, one of them does this trick, one of them does a magic trick that the other wants to duplicate. And... Though it looks as simple as... The trick looks very, very simple. But Hugh Jackman, his character thinks it's super complex. The beauty about what the movie does is that you'll see... After you watch it three or four times, you'll see... Wow. The answer was right in front of everyone's face the whole time. It is... And without going into any issues or like with any deep information. Yeah, because I haven't seen it either. It's it's just, it's a movie that is wonderfully done. It, it'll it'll get you into Christopher Nolan. You'll, this twist comes out of nowhere. It is wonderfully done. Uh, there's... There's issues at hand with the character that Christian Bale's, the Christian Bale plays that require a lot from an actor. And at this point in time, I don't think there's going to be a better actor to, 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 to helm the role yeah. besides Christian Bale. He did a wonderful job with it. And you'll, you'll learn to love and to learn to hate Hugh Jackman's character as well. Because both of them are trying to become successful. And like how Citizen Kane is, you want to become successful, but at what cost? A lot of a lot of uh, those two gentlemen draw similarities from each other. Both pay an equal price of sacrifice. If this film, this film would have been done as a short on the Twilight Zone, but 
be thankful that Christopher Nolan got on board and was actually able to, to have this make sense, to have it be done beautifully well, and for it to be translated well on the big screen because it's just... It is, it is definitely a, a, a very nice piece of filmmaking that I encourage everyone to watch. And that concludes the 15 films that you must see before you die. I enjoyed doing this, Isaiah. I know it took a lot out of you and Jonathan to come up with these lists as far as like the spur of the moment went. But uh, I'm glad that we actually gave the audience um, some insight onto these these movies that they, they, damn it, they're commanded to watch. You know, yeah, I think these movies are going to definitely, if you haven't seen them, are definitely going to be worth your while to to check out, um, and not just check out, but to study because these movies are much deeper than uh, what meets the eye. So um, definitely uh, watch these films, watch them again, and just you know take what you can from them because, uh, like Jonathan said, you know movies are like a work of art and they should be studied. And a lot of times the average watcher or movie watcher or you know won't really pay pay um attention enough to to really understand what this what message is being portrayed and there's some good messages in these movies we listed yeah, some, sometimes it takes like how i rewatched schindler's list on uh at a theater sometimes it takes that but in this in this instance with what you have available now to you guys with these 15 films they do require your full attention and we definitely recommend them to you so silence your cell phones and and uh, was it? Please don't add your own soundtrack or whatever they yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. I um, want to thank you guys for tuning in to another great episode of uh, Come Sit With Us. This is episode 19. 15 films you must see before you die. I am Mark Flores. And I am Isaiah Martinez. And most importantly, people, be well. <laughs>